Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Time for the Utah Jazz on our ongoing season outlook series here. Joined for the second straight season by my good friend David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, also the creator of the Locked On Podcast Network and the host, of course, of the daily podcast Locked On Jazz. And uh, David, good to hear from you. We, of course, were in Salt Lake City together when the Hayward news came down. Uh, but now I thought the Jazz did pretty well to recover once it was clear that that Hayward would not be returning. And so uh, how are people feeling about this team in Utah now? I think there's a level of optimism. Uh, There's not of them, you know, I think if Hayward was back, I think teams would be talking about whether they could make it to the Western Conference Finals. I don't think there's that level. I think there's still just a feeling that there's a cornerstone in Rudy Gobert. There's a healthy franchise led by, you know, great leadership, and the Miller family is amazing. Uh, then you have Dennis Lindsay, and, and who's very, you know, I think recognized, and Quinn Snyder is both being elite. Uh, the facilities have all been upgraded over the offseason. So I think there's a feeling that everything about the organization is heading in the right direction. And then on the court, I just think there's great mystery. I, I find this to uh, incredibly fascinating team. I don't think it's uh, in the sense that it's probably a league pass team or anything of that nature. But there are so many things for those of us that are basketball junkies on what wins in the NBA, what the value of things are in the NBA, uh, career progression of players. Uh, I find all four backcourt players, maybe even five, uh, if you include Alec Burks, just incredibly interesting. So I I think this is a lot of unknowns. I'm not going to have a lot of answers for you today, Nate, but I I do find this as as a team very, very intriguing. Yeah, I think so. And maybe the place to start, obviously, Hayward has departed. When he was off the floor last season, the Jazz had a... 0.4 0.4 net rating 103.7 on offense 103.3 on defense just in general do you think that they you expect them to be better or worse than that you know assuming that they have solid health this year when they have some of their main units out on the floor so a 0.3 rating would mean they win about 41.5 games or so 42 games is what that would say that'd be a little yes. bit over on what vegas says Vegas, I think, has them at 40.5. I mean, I think that's a reasonable number. They really got shafted on the schedule um, in the sense that they, of the four teams, they only play three times. They're four of the five worst teams in the Western Conference. So I actually had them as kind of a 44-win team, and then the schedule came out, and I dropped them to a 41-win team yeah. because they don't play um, Dallas, Phoenix, 
uh, Los Angeles and Sacramento. That's not quite right. I have, I'm, I'm off. I have one of those is wrong. But Phoenix, they play four times. They don't play the Lakers, Dallas, Sacramento, and one other team that's not – the other fifth team that's not good in the Western right. Conference. They only play them three times. That that actually is a big – I think that's going to be the difference between them maybe making the playoffs and not making the playoffs, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there aren't any weak sisters in the Northwest Division, and you play all the teams in your division, you're guaranteed to play them four times, and that's kind of a crapshoot with the rest of the teams. And so they got a really bad end of the stick there. Um, so I, I do um, – and then the question is, are they in any way better prepared with this roster and the depth of this roster without Gordon Hayward than, um, than – than they were last year. I don't think I could could make that claim. Uh, I do think that they're deep again, and that should allow them to survive that. But I, I think that's a fair. That's kind of a fair number to be hovering around. Uh, and maybe then the next question is. And maybe the most important question. So, if they are 0.3 when Hayward's off the floor, uh, what are they in the next tier? Right? The, those those other, eight, you know, whatever that is. That next unit going to be all right again? Um, it's it's a little it's a little bit of a faulty number because you're gonna somebody's gonna have to be playing against the starters in the minutes that Hayward didn't, who has not done that before and handled that before, and that's going to be a big jump for them. Yeah, that's definitely true. Let's talk about how some of the new additions fit in here. Ricky Rubio coming over on that trade on the eve of free agency. He projects to start at the one. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, of course, had a very, very nice summer league. Everyone seems really excited about him at number 13 overall pick. Uh, Tabo Cephalosha and Jonas Jerebko both brought in on reasonable contracts, second year non-guaranteed. And they also brought in Epiudo uh, from Fenerbahce. Same thing, two-year deal, second year non-guaranteed, about $3 million a year. And then Tony Bradley, the number 27 pick whom they traded up to get. Uh, how do you see, we'll start with Rubio. How do you see him fitting in? Obviously a different player than George Hill was last year, but uh, arguably maybe a better one when you consider his well, I think let, let me go big picture where I kind of made this comment sure. about that the fans feel as though the organization's being run well and that you're in a good position. I think those contracts you just talked about are a lot of that, right? That the, the Dennis Lindsay signed these interest. I think all those players are interesting. I think all of them are above average. And yet you were able to get Udo, Jarebko, and Cephalosha all on team options for the second year. Just shows, I think, that level of detail that gives the fan base some confidence that your leadership is good. So let's now let's now let's go to Rubio. Uh, I'm again. I said it earlier. I'm so intrigued. Like the the book on Rubio, his entire career, really until last year, was that he, while he can't. Sh- can't seemingly shoot and do a bunch of the things that we like to judge for metrics. The team is always better when he's on the floor. He's been the point guard of some of the best offenses in the league for periods of time. And yet, and yet he can't, you know, his shooting numbers are horrifically bad. And yet his team seems to always be better when he's on the floor. I'm so curious to watch him play now in Utah and see, does that same, does that same phenomena happen again? Um, And does that, does he, I mean, I think there were in 13, 14 and 14, 15, and Nate, you probably have, it's one of those he he hardly played, but from, from 13, 14 to 2016, so that three-year stretch, 
I think the on-off number difference was like plus 10. Well, certainly 13-14, it was a, a massive problem whenever he went out of the game. It was their bench that really killed them that year and, and prevented them from being in playoff contention that last Kevin Love year. Then he missed most of 14-15 and then came back the last year. It, it was much the same, although, again, they were playing Zach Levine at point guard in 15-16. Uh, and then last year, I, w- the effect was not as pronounced, although I still still think it was effective. The, what I'm looking for to seeing from him is i think he has been successful and the wolves and were successful with him doing this with the ball in his hands he's one of the best passers in the nba and when he's got the ball in his hands you got to at least guard i mean you can go under on pick and roll but he can maneuver enough and, and create enough openings to at least make a pass we, we know that he's a, a poor finisher around the rim uh, it's when he is forced to just go stand in the corner because we're going to let andrew wiggins initiate the offense or, or someone else initiate the offense that he really does start to become a drag on your team's spacing offensively and it with the jazz it really seems like other than rodney hood he's the only guy who's going to be doing stuff off the dribble it seems like he's going to have plenty of chances to play with the ball in his hands and that's uh should play to his strengths offensively what's the value of nine assists what's that value are they nine Rajon Rondo assists or are they nine? You know, I, I mean, there's, I think a lot of it just, it can be huge or it can be not really that great. You know, if you're getting nine assists because what you're doing is just standing up at the top of the key and waiting for a guy to come off a screen and then just throwing it to him as he comes off the screen, you know, pretty much anybody can do that, right? If you're actually creating value added plays, either by drawing the defense the way Russell Westbrook does, or just uh, by throwing great passes the opposite side even when the defense is just slightly tilted maybe more the way that rubio does it's an interesting question and then of course there seems like in general if you're a good assist guy you're probably not as good of a shooter and so that all plays in as well of how what you do when the ball is not in your hands and i think where rondo in the last few years i think a lot of people would say that he and ruby are similar players on the surface rondo the last few years it seems have not been better with him on the floor but yet as you noted it has been the case for rubio the one jumped out to me 15 16 season okay now they're not good they're 29 and 53 i think that year yes they averaged 100 and, and this is this isn't using advanced metrics but it's I, I actually think this is kind of important for the jazz they averaged 104 points when rubio was on the floor uh i think these are for 48 and they averaged 97 when he was off like that's just an incredible i get they were terrible they didn't have but like that's an incredible difference like that means that that he's having a a a game-changing impact, whether it's tempo, whether it's pace of play, whether it's efficiency. I'm not getting that advanced in that number. I just thought that simple number, that they're that much better off, or at least that more proficient scoring. That's all that says. Uh, when he was on the floor two years ago, and that's the, that same story has kind of existed. I'm curious to see that impact. It, and and I'm going to be, I, I'm on, I don't know. That that to me, like last year, they scored 106.1 points when he was on the, game, on the floor, and 100 102.9 when he was off like so he's significantly altering how they played when he was on the floor well i think it's also and I, i've been a rubio fan i do think he's an underrated player but it's also a testament to and this is something that the jazz have seen firsthand as well we talk about how it's a point guard heavy league and there are all these point guards out there but once you get past maybe like the 20th or 25th best point guard in the league all of a sudden you get to guys and then when you get into the backups as well if you have a really below average 
backup remember chris dunn was playing at backup point guard for most of the season he was one of the worst players in the nba last year zach levine was playing at point guard for the wolves the, the year before certainly not really qualified to do that danny has talked about this a lot too where yeah there are a lot of point guards to go around maybe you don't want to overpay for one but if you don't have a good point guard you are screwed and, and i think that's kind of what that reflects and the jazz did well to get rubio for that reason right it looked like hill was not going to come back and they might have been relying on dante exum or whoever they could find or bring back shelvin mack and that wouldn't have been a sufficient solution there and i think rubio is that you know he he has proved that he could run an offense effectively and while he may not be an absolute world beater on the offensive end he'll at least like not kill you and i think that's really important rubio's big man that he's played with kevin love pick and pop carl anthony towns pick and pop has he ever had a role guy like gobert and what does that do yeah and as he played with a a power forward like favors as well i think that's uh, that's part of it as well i think towns is a solid role guy when they would roll into the basket um Nikola Pekovic actually was an underrated role guy not in the same vein as Gobert who's going to go up and get it but a guy who could catch on the move and finish when he was in his prime uh had some pretty quick feet before he was felled by all the injuries and, and wait, Rubio wait, 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 wait. that's not that's not fair for you to bring up where I wanted to go that was like <laughs> I was setting myself up Pekovic averaged 18 points a game in the 2013-14 season shooting 54 percent with Rubio as his point guard. Yeah. In the year before, 16 points a game. Like, did Rubio create that? It's hard to tell. We'd have to go back. It's actually kind of, interestingly, by the way, I've tried to do this. It's really before we have that uh, ability to kind of look at on-off uh, impact numbers based on who you're who you're on the floor with era. So it's, I, at least I couldn't find access to it. So trying to find the 12, 13, 13, 14 season and see, well, what was Peck like? when Rubio was on versus Rubio being off was what I was trying to find the other day. Couldn't, just couldn't find that naturally, but it's an it's an interesting one to me. Uh, the one we haven't brought up is the steal numbers on Rubio. You know, they're really, it, defensively, he wasn't, everyone says kind of last year he wasn't good. I think he and uh, Tibbs really just never were on the same page. There were, Rubio's mom had passed away to start that year in 2016-17, the drafting of Chris Dunn. Uh, there's a, uh, there, there are a million things in there that have kind of let me know from and I heard it before he joined the Jazz that that relationship was just never on right on the correct ground despite well yeah that, I mean there are rumors going out that Rubio was going to be traded at midseason as soon as uh, the unstoppable Chris Dunn uh, you know came into his own which of course uh, didn't happen right and so if you're you know if you're Rubio one I, I think there was and I don't know if this is true or not I'd heard the, the murmurs that he didn't feel that uh, Minnesota kind of gave him the appropriate response to his mom passing um but if you're if you're rubio and you're going to camp even without all that other stuff and you're like this guy's the future i'm better than this guy and you kind of feel like you're always being slighted for him that's a hard year so i I do think that maybe there was something in that uh relationship that was that was off I, i i'm not a big believer in this nate but what's your feeling on okay he's drafted by minnesota as the savior you know that he was a pro at 16 in spain he has this spotlight on him he's actually he's great he looks like he's gonna great until the ACL tear and then forever after the ACL turn he's now the guy that was drafted in front of Steph Curry does, does he get some level of just release and freedom by being in Utah and and probably being beloved by a fan base 
uh, rather than kind of what if we had somebody else with a fan base. Yeah, I'm not as much of a believer in those type of things. But again, I'll just go back to the idea that this is a team that needs him to be what he considers himself to be. That's going to give him the freedom to do that. I do wonder, though, Quinn Snyder, his system has not necessarily had a ton of just straight high pick and roll. They want to move the ball from side to side, do a lot of DHO stuff. That's not something I think that Rubio can really be that effective at due to his inability to shoot. I think he's got to really be more just a straight high pick and roll guy and you can correct me if i'm wrong you obviously see the team every day that's just my my impression of, of what their system is and so i do think that for rubio to be at his most effective that quinn may need to change things up a little bit instead of just you know 70 passes per possession around the perimeter and then attack from the wing as opposed to maybe attacking from the top more with rubio so i think you're absolutely right the only thing i think that might change he's never had a pass first point guard yeah. so if you're running high pick and roll with trey burke or George Hill, they're going to shoot. Right. And Quinn's philosophy is predicated largely on ball movement, but as much as ball touching, he really just believes if everyone touches the ball and everyone is uh, obviously unselfish, then you're going to play defense better. You're going to be engaged as a group more. You're going to be together more. Well, if you have a point guard that's first issue off the high pick and roll is to pass, you probably are more willing to run it. Well, and that feeds into another thing, too. This Jazz team has been one of the slowest teams in the NBA for quite some time. Rubio has excelled in transition. And also, this is a team that, with Hayward gone, really just doesn't have the one-on-one scoring to get shots late in the clock. And so are they going to run more this year? So a bunch of data points here that I wish I knew the answer to. Uh, one that I have not heard enough research done on is, let me see if I can explain it. What is the opponent's offensive efficiency after you use a lot of the shot clock? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, so and- your, your offense uses six seconds of shot clock. They go back the other way. What's their efficiency compared to if you play what Quinn kind of often refers to as kind of the running game of basketball, time of possession, drag the clock down, make them defend for 20 seconds. Is their offense less good going the other way? Because I think that's an important thing for the Jazz to to know and and maybe not know exactly, but to give you some idea on. I yeah. do, there's no question that Utah has got to find a way to get more possessions in the first six seconds of the shot clock. Now, what is that? They have now three of the top 10 guys in the league, I believe, that have are in the steals percentage. Is the defense going to create that? Um, or, or what is it? But but to your, I, I'm kind of agreeing with you here. To your point, um, they just, I the, the numbers are stunning at how little time the Jazz spend early in the shot clock compared to the rest of the league. And if they can get, if they can get a little better at that, maybe that can help them get just a few more, few more opportunities. To, to just your basic point there, my theory would be that I think it's still probably bad for your defense to be playing late in the clock overall. It may be the case that you get some advantages from simply having slowed things down, and but that you're probably not getting an offensive rebound as much late in the clock, number one, and you're just not having the ball go through the basket as much. And so even if there is some endemic advantage to, okay, we slowed things down, everyone's kind of set up when we try to score late in the clock uh you still got the issue that you're more efficient defensively when the ball goes through the basket than when it doesn't i think for example this is only one data point but golden state i think has especially with all the switching they do has been first or second in the league the last few years in terms of 
uh, longest time of possession on defense for the other team, forcing teams late into the clock. And then they are still unbelievable in transition offensively afterwards. Uh, now that's obviously a team that has unbelievable transition players. So you don't want to rely on that. But my guess would be it's still probably bad for your defense to play late in the clock because you're just missing so often. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Um, and I think anytime we use Golden State as a reference point, that's yeah. probably um, a mistake. The Jazz, uh, I was just pulling this up. The Jazz last year only had, uh, and this I don't love the way NBA keeps this, 15% of their possessions in the first six seconds of the shot clock, which I think was by the lowest in the league. You know, I, I don't love the way that's kept because that also could be an offensive rebound putback. So it's kind of sure. a funky stat. Um, and, and they were unquestionably, they were the highest. They had 11% of their possessions in the final four seconds of the shot clock. And they had 13% of their possessions in the final four, seven to four. So 23%, almost 24% of their possessions in the final seven seconds of the shot clock. But I, I'm not sure. I mean, we, we have to dig into it a little bit more, Nate. It's a longer conversation. It's not a good podcast. <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm not as convinced on this. I, I think the rate by which it's not going into the basket in contrast to, I mean, if we just take here just quickly, the effective field goal, the median effective mean f- effective field goal or median effective field goal percentage in the final from four to seven in the shot clock is I think 47%. And if you take that middle range, which is seven to 15, it's, 50%. So, you know, it's three percentage points over, you know, that's three points over a hundred shots, right? Yeah. Well, I, I'm not convinced your defense isn't three points better by slowing the game down over a hundred shots. It's just the numbers are so small that I, I don't think it's a no brainer. I will after that scintillating basketball nerd conversation. Let's take a, a quick break from a word from our sponsor. And we'll be right back uh, with David Locke after this. I'm going to take the time to tell you again about one of our most loyal sponsors, Movement Watches, mvmt.com slash capspace is the URL. You can get 15% off today, plus free shipping and free returns at mvmt.com slash capspace. The reason they're able to have such a good product is that they sell their products entirely online. So they're able to cut out the middleman and the retail markup. And really, for the first time, beautiful minimalist watches are affordable. These start at just $95. Time was, I wasn't really a watch guy because the ones I liked, it didn't really make sense to pay $400, $500 for a watch. If you go to that mvmt.com slash capspace URL and just take a look at what they have, both men's and women's watches. My girlfriend loves hers. My mom's got one. She bought one as a present for her nieces, my cousins, using that mvmt.com slash capspace URL to get the 15% off. I think you just like what you see there. It's a great gift for men or women. High quality. They've sold now in over 160 countries. So if you are an international listener, that's a great way to support the show. Step up your watch game. See why people across the world love MVMT watches, movement watches. Go to MVMT.com slash capspace, movement.com slash capspace, 15% off, free shipping, free returns. Join the movement. All right, so we mentioned Rubio, I think. By the way, that was the first time ever that a sponsorship read was more interesting than the item that had happened right before it on the show. (laughs) Hey, I do a good job with those reads. I just thought I'd point that out, like me, you know, me. geeking that out to such a point that I made this, this your sponsor should be sending me stuff as a thank you for making their read seem more interesting than what um, they had otherwise. Okay, sorry. 
let's talk about Rodney Hood and Derek Favors. I see those guys as the key to this season for the Jazz, perhaps even more offensively than defensively. What are those guys' prospects for getting better, and where are they health-wise? Well, Derek, if, you know, I haven't talked to him. I've texted with him a few times. I haven't talked to him, and I haven't specifically said, hey, what's your health? Um, his Instagram account would lead you to believe he's working awfully hard and, and with regularity. Um, and I think he's got a point to prove, right? Like, if you want to – again, you and I are much more in analytics than we are into, like, side stories. But, I mean, you want a guy who's like, okay, I'm a free agent. I took $11 million in my last contract while everybody else is signing for 30 The guy next to me is getting 30 Everyone seems to have forgotten about me. Hello, I'm here to announce that I'm back. Like, if Derek can't be motivated for this season, he can't be motivated uh, because he's he's got a point to prove, and he's got and he's got a legitimate, you know, I don't think any, let me make sure this is clear. I don't think anyone's treated him wrong or that he's done anything wrong or that, but I think he's got a legitimate gripe. Does that make sense? Like, if I'm him, I'm feeling slighted, I'm feeling forgotten, I'm feeling doubted. Like, I've got a little bit because great athletes have this kind of feeling. I don't actually think anyone's slighted him. I don't think anyone's doubting him, but I think as an athlete, you're there. So he should be pretty driven um and it's going to be interesting to see what the jazz do with him because when he and gobert were on the floor together last year the defensive rating was a 96.5 yeah they've always been ever since those guys started playing together they've been impossible to score against whenever those two guys are on the floor so it's hard it doesn't it doesn't make quinn snyder's life easy it's a difficult process to be able to try to figure out how you're going to score offensively in every sport in the world, uh, coaches get uncomfortable when they don't know how to score. If you're tied at 90 and you don't score, you don't win, no matter what you do defensively. So I think that there's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he's used. But I, I, Derek is 12 months away from being uh, – 12 months ago, Derek was an unbelievable player in this league, which yeah. leads me to believe that the likelihood of him returning is pretty high. Now, Rodney Hood I, has a great well, opportunity. Well, well, one more thing on favors. Yeah. I mean, it's just – like I have absolutely zero doubt about the type of player that he is when he's healthy. It's just a question of whether he's going to be able to get past uh, these chronic knee and back injuries. Amen. So you didn't ask me this, but let's pretend you asked me if I was going to bet on favors or hood, I'm betting on favors yeah. only because I've seen it. Yeah. He's been at the level. Yeah. Right. So that, that's kind of where I was going with that. Now, Rodney's got some special parts to his game, right? There aren't a lot of guards that can kind of get in the middle of the paint and get that shot off the way you can. There aren't a lot of he does it very differently at times it's almost Brandon Roy-esque um at, at the rate in which he can get things off is is you know he really can find a shot when he wants it his three-point shooting um is is again he, with his release point he can get six seven eight off a game which uh as you know and I think you probably agree with me is a huge value so there's a lot of things about him uh that could could suddenly become a different aspect. His injury issue that you're bringing up is real too. By the way, one other note on Ronnie Hood, one of the best late shot to our conversation before, one of the late best late shot clock players in the league. He was in the 92nd percentile in the final four seconds of the shot clock. He's, he's just terrific. But what happened to him last year is he had that knee injury, and and then he was never the same. And if you there's two numbers that jump out to me, and I know you like geeky numbers, and I promised you a few. So are you ready for this one? Because this... You're not getting – I listen to every one of these season previews. They are how I prep for the upcoming season. I have a, a – you've infiltrated my life so much, Nate Duncan, that there's a <laughs> there's a box on my prep sheet called Dunked On, and it's whatever notes I got for out of the Dunked On podcast about that team. I mean, it's it's bad. I mean, I have to think, <laughs> I think about you all 82 games. 
but here are three notes on two notes on Rodney that uh, I think are important for his success, and I think makes you believe he might be more successful than otherwise. One, his rim finishing last year it went from sixty seven percent three years ago to sixty one percent two years ago to fifty six percent last year. That's a health issue, right? When you drop yeah. that much, then I dug into it a little bit more in the paint post All Star break. So when you think Rodney Hood, it's that three, but it's also that little left hand shot and he kind of gets in the paint gets his stuff in the paint post all-star break he shot 29 percent okay that's a guy that has no balance and no lift right yeah now so that's i think those those can be fixed here's the number that i think changes his year and the jazz did this with joe ingles a year ago really dramatically can they do this again rodney hood on catch and shoot threes shoots 42 percent high level pretty elite off the bounce 29 percent can they fix that because that's what they did with joe ingles zach guthrie worked with Joe Ingles, got his balance fixed off the bounce, and he went from a very poor off-the-bounce three-point shooter to a good off-the-bounce three-point shooter and in turn became one of the best three-point shooters in the league. Yeah, I, I was shocked by the improvement in the versatility of Joe Ingles' jump shot last year. He went from the same exact 29% that Rodney Hood's at to 40% last year off the bounce. Maybe not replicable a second time around. Maybe it is. We'll find out. But I think that's going to be an inch. It, it, can the Jazz do the same with Rodney Hood and can he can he suddenly uh, can he suddenly do that? Yeah, and it's again, I, I'm a believer in Rodney's talent. It's just a question of whether he can stay healthy. He missed a ton of time during his rookie year, was relatively healthy his sophomore year, and then, of course, uh, last year, only 59 games, but uh, again, suffered recurrences of that sprained knee to where he really was a shell of himself uh, during a lot of that time period. Um, so I, I think uh, let's talk about some of the potential by the lineup. Way, by, by, oh, by yeah, the go way, ahead. Yeah. Another one on Rodney Hood is the whole contract situation. It's one of the most interesting right. stories, I think, in the league this year. And I, you know, how does it how does it impact him? What impact does it have on him? Uh, I don't want to bore everyone. I'm sure you and Danny will get into it a little bit. You'll probably do one of your mock things. Yeah, we uh, actually just recorded that that uh, yesterday. So that, that'll actually be out before this episode comes out. All right, so, so uh, go back and listen back to that episode because I don't know what you guys... Uh, actually, you can tell me then. What do you guys come up with? Because I think it's the most fascinating negotiation. On one level, you're Rodney Hood. You got a chance to become the man here. You got a chance you're going to have 18 points a game and you can get huge money. On the other hand, you haven't gotten paid yet. There's no money on the market. You've been oft injured. You don't seem to love the pressure. You, um, you know, to that point of that, when I asked him once in an interview whether he'd like to be an action star, a comedian, he said he'd like to be an extra. Um, that's probably what fits him best. He's not the kind of likes to – saying he doesn't like pressure might not be the right word. He doesn't like to just be out there. That's not who he is. He's not the he's not the guy that's going to be – you know, he just doesn't want to be out in front. That's, that's right. not his, his makeup. Uh, and so if you turn down $50 million or $60 million, you're out in front now. And I, I think it's a fascinating negotiation from every aspect. The Jazz need to have Rodney if, if in fact, Rodney's that good, uh, which I think is still – you know, he's been an average efficiency player so far because he doesn't go to line much. And, uh, you know, does Rodney really going to turn down $50 million or something like that to, to possibly go make the huge deal that might or might not be on the market? Contavious Caldwell-Pope is a similar player. It didn't go so well for him. What did you guys decide? 
Well, so I think the best offer I ended up wheedling out of Dan, I was the player agent and Danny was the uh, jazz GM. He offered me four years, 66 million, but with a partially guaranteed final season. And I ended up rejecting that thinking that Rodney is going to just have so many chances to put up stats this year and just guys at his height who are you know at least passable defensively and solid on, on offense just you know don't don't come around that often that he he could be certainly as good as like an auto porter you know if he has a good year he could be right in that same category as him now there are the health issues but yeah i mean i think it, unless it's at least like 15 million a year it's hard for me to see how he would and i, I would have done the four for 66 if danny hadn't insisted on the partially guaranteed final year um and it seemed like that's where we actually had all a lot of these guys who were kind of showed some promise you know looking like they could be starters not uh, amazing uh yet but still have some promise you know they sort of ended up in between the four for 60 and four for 70 range and so i couldn't because i couldn't get the full guarantee i i did not agree to that but you know may, not saying that he wouldn't do that uh i don't i'm not in in his mindset but i think he could really really be a guy who gets paid uh even if there isn't that much money out there just because you know he could have a, a monster year this year so quick thought on it i might be wrong i have not talked to anybody in the jazz I, I i don't know if i'm the jazz if i offer 65 million um second thing is if i'm rodney all i want out of the deal is that i want an out after the third year so that if i yeah. click it so if i click in i can opt out and if i get over if i'm rodney and i'm at over 50 for four years or, or anywhere in that range, and I have a three-year out, I would never bypass it. I, 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 yeah. I would, well, I, I couldn't I still, get that from I'll Danny. I'll tell you what. I, I would have taken less. I, I would have taken less from Danny if, if he had given me that. I think I asked for it, and, and he wouldn't give it to me. So that's why we weren't able to come to a agree. But I agree with you. I mean, I think I think that's going to be a, a big component of these rookie extensions this year. Is like, okay, yeah, I realize the market isn't that good. I probably can't get paid. This is life-changing money with where the cap is at now anyway. You know, it might be below market to lock in for an extension so hey i realize that i'm gonna be disappointed compared to what people in 2016 were getting but hey at least give me that opt-out after the third year or even after a second year for some of these guys super you can lead me in the next direction uh what do you see as the big like rotation battles that quinn snyder is gonna have to sort out this year so I find, as I said earlier, the four guards fascinating. If we assume Rubio's getting 30 minutes and you assume Ronnie Hood's getting 30 minutes and there's 96 minutes there, we now have 36 minutes to divide between Donovan Mitchell and Dante Axum, which is only 18 each, which might not be that big a deal, unless suddenly Alec Burks is able to play. And there are some reports out of L.A. that he looks pretty good in some of the kind of pickup games there. Um, the forgotten man, Alec Burks. And then there's this, I, I think Donovan Mitchell is going to, and you know what, you saw all this summer league, so you and I are working off the same knowledge, and I'd be curious to see if you think I'm nuts on this. But I just think he's going to force himself on the floor. I just think he's one of those rookies that's going to average 20 minutes a game, 18, 20 minutes a game in November, and it's going to move to 22 in December, and it's going to be 24 in January, and it's going to be 26 by the time the year's over. And maybe, maybe it's going to be more. I, I was looking the other day. There's only been 10 guards in the last 10 years, I think it was, maybe 11, who've scored 15 points a game as a rookie. 
Yeah, I'd be shocked if he gets to that. I, I think his defense is going to be something that Snyder is going to love and that maybe if Hood is playing well, we could see some units where Mitchell plays at the two and they move Hood to the three and then maybe either Joe Johnson or Ingles or, or Cephalosha can play some four uh, if they want to go away from, from Favors being at the four. Um, but yeah, I mean, and his defense was unbelievable. I mean, the defense he played on Jason Tatum in that game against the Celtics in Utah where he just completely switched on to him, completely shut him down in the second half the steals that he gets you mentioned that's something that this team has struggled with recently but I think it's going to be totally transformed on this year's team the shooting I I don't expect him to be effective doing much other than just spotting up this year I think even in summer league you know he had a high usage rate but not really a two a one foot player jumps exclusively off of two feet which makes it harder to get to the rim you know his passing I'm sure is not going to be there yet I'm not saying he can't get there to be a solid offensive player but I think it's going to really come down to whether he's going to hit his shots the way that you hope he is I mean he's got that beautiful up and down stroke lands in the same spot every time pretty good versatility to that jump shot when you just watch him shooting in practice like it really goes in yeah uh so we'll see but then again you know he shot whatever it was 32 percent or something at Louisville if that shot comes around I I think I agree with you it's just he's gonna have to make shots Uh, I think he's gonna score a lot I might be wrong. I mean, uh, so you think he, go he's going to do more? You think he's going to do more uh, than be a, a spot up guy this year? So your starting lineup is Ricky Rubio, Rodney Hood, Joe Ingles, Derek Favors, and Rudy Gobert. Like, how are you scoring? Someone's got to score. Like, uh, Naismith yeah. created a game that has 85 points. The Charlotte Bobcats, the year they had the, the lockout year where they were the worst team in the history of the league, right? They, they scored 85 points a game. So I get the Jazz are going to play slow and maybe be 20th in the league offensively. They still got to score. They're still going to score 85 points a game. Minimum. Uh, I think they might be worse than 20th offensively, to be honest. I, I was actually going through. We did our over-unders a little yesterday also, and I think, you know, I could see them being 23rd, 20th. 24th, but I think I projecting them to have a top five defense as well. Right. I, and, you know, this is our next conversation. I could derail your whole show. I'm trying not, you know, because I do host. No, no, that's, that's too, fine. So. Let's just, let um, it, just let it roll. We're, but, we're too regimented on these. But I think, um, I, I think the, I think someone's got to score for this team. And I think that's where Donovan Mitchell is going to, you know, is he going to have a Brandon Jennings 15 points a game or Brandon Jennings shot? 37% from the field and 37% from three, maybe. Is he Eric Gordon? I kind of like that comp, frankly, who with a not very good Clippers offense in his rookie year uh, is a player that I think people have forgotten about. Was He actually was shot brilliantly. He shot 46% and 39% from three that year. Um, you know, I, I, I see OJ Mayo's rookie. I mean, OJ Mayo's rookie year was 19 points a game. Yeah, those, those guys are, are just older than people think too. Yeah, those guys to me are just in a different class as far as just their general uh, offensive feel uh, than Mitchell. I mean, I, I don't think Mitchell is not a pure scorer the way you know, and, and I don't think has been coming up through the youth ranks and in college the way someone like OJ Mayo or, or Eric Gordon is. I don't quite see him in that category. I see him as more maybe a guy who I think will be a very solid three and D player on the wing, and then you know whether he can add to that. I don't think that that's quite natural for him really being like a, a great score yet maybe, maybe you feel differently and maybe he's shown differently so far but I, I don't see him being able to be efficient at all uh certainly not starting off I think he can grow into that with this jazz development system but I don't expect him to be able to score efficiently creating his own offense in this first year I I, I see I don't 
disagree with you about efficiency. I think that's a huge question. I don't disagree with you about the two-foot jumper. That makes me very nervous. Uh, lack of size makes me very nervous. I think he's got to become a one-two, though, to be kind of a one-two unicorn to be successful in the league. Um, and then the last aspect of it, though, so here's where I do think that we're maybe underestimating him a little bit, and then I'll throw a caveat on it. You know, if you go to his career progression, he's a basketball-baseball player because his dad played professional baseball, and he's a basketball-baseball player all the way up through high school, and only recently has he isolated his athleticism, his athleticism and his game toward basketball. So I think he's got an upward curve. Um, I don't like players who they say, well, he just picked the Jordan Hills of the world. Well, he only picked up the game his freshman year in high school. Um, I think you still see that a little bit with that. His canter was late picking up the game. Uh, they don't have the Gladwellian 10,000 hours, and I think they never get a feel for the game. This is different. This is a guy who has the 10,000 Gladwellian hours of being an elite athlete. He was just doing it between multiple sports, and now has switched the focus. And so I think there's a bigger uptick on him. I also, here's the caveat, might just be using this to keep myself sane after Gordon Hayward departed to go to Boston. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm just... For a rookie, I'm. Uh, I think people might be getting a little bit too excited about his offense after the summer league. I think he'll be a really valuable player. But if if you had to for, to guess of whether he's going to be a guy who's going to be a top two option offensively in his career, or whether he's just going to be a very solid guy who can play both ends, make shots, get out in transition, and, and be a great defender. You know, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the, the, every team in the league desperately needs players of I'm, that. I'm ilk. taking. I'm taking the other. I just want to be on record. Yeah. I'm taking okay. he'll be a one or two offensive option in the league. I think he's going to be great. Okay. All right. That's, uh, we'll have to revisit that one. So you mentioned the, the guard play at the three, Joe Ingles, Joe Johnson, who probably played his best at the four, can't really defend the three anymore. And then you got Tavo Cephalosha as well, who's coming in, struggles to shoot from the perimeter, but still a very quality defensive option. And some of those guys could bleed into playing the floor as well, where you've got Jonas Jarebko as a backup option behind favors yeah and i think it'll be interesting and then the question we kind of already led into is do, do you start sliding into smaller lineups and more athletic lineups um and you know i think you'll see a lineup of of i don't know how i think jaredco could play some five and you suddenly play a five out lineup with mitchell yeah. and exum Boston and was very effective with that lineup uh, in 2014-15 with Jarebko as the backup center, but Jarebko may not be the same guy any longer. Why not? Just because he's older and, okay. and doesn't have the athleticism anymore. I mean, he's in his 30s now. And he's got post-Achilles still. I mean, you never know when that catches up with you. Um, he fought through it pretty well for a few years, better than most people have. Um, I think the uh, I, I think it'll be interesting. One thing I think it'll be interesting if they do that spread lineup, you suddenly have Dante and Donovan, who are real drivers, who uh, particularly Dante has an elite first step, right? I mean, if you suddenly are playing five out and Dante can drive to the basket, that's that's an interesting thing. I don't know if AB still has that. Alec Burke still has that bounce that he once had to be able to do that. He's never a great rim finisher anyway. Um, so I, I, I think those – I think there's just so much lineup versus – is that with Joe Ingles and Tavo Cephalosa both on the floor together? Is that with Joe Johnson at the four? Is that I, – I think it's – I think there's some really – one thing I love about the way Dennis Lindsay's built this team is that I think you have 13, 14 really viable players, and I think you have the ability to play this mammoth lineup of Favors and Gobert, and then I think you play Jarebko at the five some of the time, and maybe even Udo at the five if he's developed enough of that and he's a good passer. Um, and we'll see how those how those all play out in the different options that, that Quinn uses. I, I really don't know. And, you know, big picture, the two things I don't know that uh, I, I think the Jazz back end of their roster is going to be better than almost every team they play. What? 
what value does that have, if any? And then the other one that you alluded to earlier is, so Denver's over-under is 48.5, I think. Is that right? Uh, 46 and a half. Okay. Um, and the Jazz is 40.5. Um, and yet, who's what's better? Utah's offense or Utah's defense or Denver's offense? Uh, I think they're probably right about the same level, I would say. Okay. Um, and Utah's offense or Denver's defense? I would probably say Denver's defense with the addition of Millsap can be improved. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it's a good question. But also, I think you could say that that Denver's offense uh, could be, I mean, they're the number one offense ever when Jokic came into the lineup, right? And so if they could continue that, I mean, they could be, yeah, like they could be two in offense and the Jazz could be two in defense. But And this has generally been the case as well, I think, recently, that the absolute best offenses, at least last year, were, better than uh the average offense compared to the best defenses compared to the average defense yes offense is more important than defense in the nba i think it's fascinating though i really do i think it's um i i think it's a really interesting those two questions i just brought up i think will define the jazz season how valuable is depth something i still don't think we have a really great grasp on this league because i do think we understand how important top heavy is but i don't know if we understand depth and then the second one is is you know again I mean we, I I think Utah Utah is the inverse of Houston and Denver right yes and I think that's really interesting that when we do our projections and I think Houston's gonna be great and I think Denver's gonna be really good um you know I'm just so but I mean we we, we do our projections and Houston's at fifty five and a half and Denver's at fifty whatever forty whatever it was and a half and Utah's at forty are we undervaluing what uh, being a number one two or three defense there's no reason I think Utah's not the second best defense in the NBA this year behind Golden State. Yeah, no, and maybe they could be the best if Golden State kind of chills out a, a little bit, takes things easier. Uh, they're certainly, I, I would favor them to be in, in the top two, I think. You know, they're really, other than those two, it's hard to point to a team that looks right. I mean, San Antonio always ends up being in there somehow, uh, although I do think they are going to miss Deadman and, and Green could slow down a little bit. But it, it's, uh, especially depending on who they play as well. I mean, if Cephalosha plays more, if Mitchell is as good as we think he's going to be, and of course if they play favors more at the four uh, but you know i think they're gonna want to try and play him more at backup center as well maybe they're gonna worry about being able to score but i i still i mean we've we, we've been talking about this for two and a half three years now i still think that if favors is the player that he was two years ago that i think favors and gobert together is is their best alignment and with rudy now having ha- undergone uh, this offensive explosion that he experienced last year the old tactic of oh we'll put our center on Derek so he can't post up and just put a smaller guy on Gobert that's not going to work nearly as well as it did two years ago with Rudy so much better of an offensive player now and I don't know the answer to this where does Rubio fit into that you know if you have never you know if you have that kind of passing does somehow Derek and Rudy suddenly can you you create you've always got a big go to the rim somehow and does is Rubio going to be able to find that in some capacity? I, I, I don't know the answer. Quinn's an offensive master, um, and I'll be really curious to see what he's able to put together. So uh, who do you think is going to play in the clutch for this team? Are they going to go with the uh, – I mean, we'll, we'll make the assumption that Favors is, if not exactly the same guy as two years ago, uh, somewhat close to that player. Uh, who do you think is, is going to be the guys that Quinn is going to rely on down the stretch of games? I, I, I think he'll, I think Rodney's ability to get shots off late, in, I think you'll see them running things to Rodney um, and, and Rodney getting those opportunities to start the year. 
Uh, I think Joe Ingles might have the ball in his hands a lot. Uh, Jim Peterson of Minnesota's TV group points out that he used to he thought Rubio was a fabulous player for 44 minutes, but it was the final four of every night where his weaknesses all got exposed. Um, that could be because Sam Mitchell was your head coach. I don't know, but um, it might happen again. And then in that case, I, I don't know for a fact that Rubio finishes games, right? I think the versatility that Quinn will have with players like Joe Ingles, who could show, has shown he could play if he needs to the point guard, both offensively and defensively for the final five minutes of the game. And you've got Rodney and are you playing Joe Johnson at the three or the four. Are you playing Cephalosha to be a defensive stopper against the number one wing guy? Are you Gobert certainly going to be on the floor and roll into the basket? But how, what are you doing in those other moments? Is Mitchell a good enough defensive player that suddenly he's finishing games and Ingles with Ingles and Hood in some, co- I, I don't know the answer to that. I think it's going to, and it's kind of sum, summarizes where the Jazz are. There's so many unknowns, um, so many questions of how Quinn's going to use the skills, and I think it's exciting to see, particularly because Quinn's so creative and how he does it. What are the big strengths of this team? Well, I think we talked about the defense. Uh, they're elite defense. I mean, I, I think depth and they're elite defensively. That, that's got to be the answer. Yeah, and we hit on this a little bit, but I think actually just getting some steals uh, is one. Can the offensive glass be a strength for these guys? Quinn goes from that Spurs school of, of getting back on defense, so they really prioritize that. But especially if you're going to play Fears and Gobert together, Gobert, uh, one of the elite offensive rebounders in the league, Favors can be that kind of a player as well if you want to send them both to, to the glass. Do you think that that's something that they will try to emphasize more because they're going to miss a lot more there? initial shots or they're just going to say hey we're, we got to get back still well two years ago they were number one or two in the league in offensive rebounding percentage if i recall correctly and it really maintained uh an offensive team that had not had not found it gordon wasn't as good two years ago as he was last year and so if you kind of went and dug into it actually they ended up being 10th two years ago so i apologize for that but maybe there was something on on points on that uh or actually maybe that's not i think i might have gone old school i think i might not have gone offensive rebounding percentage there gosh forbid that i would do something of that sort um <laughs> offensive rebounding percentage they were fourth in the league two years ago and if you kind of i think dug into it a little bit it, it really it, it was a huge part of what they were doing offensively um and then last year it wasn't as potent because a little bit of the personnel but maybe on a team that's struggling to score you're right offensive rebounding becomes more important than it's ever been before yeah, I, I, you know, here's an inter- here's an interesting note on the Jazz, by the way, and and I I, I know they lost George Hill and replaced him with Ricky Rubio, and they lost Gordon here. That was they were the third best effective field goal percentage shooting team defensively in the league last year, and the eighth best effective field goal percentage team in the league offensively. So that's those those are usually the number one and two indicators, right? The, the, that's probably the most single important shot, whether you can stat, whether you can make shots, and whether you can force people to miss. Um, I don't think they're going to get worse at the opponent's effective offensive effective field goal percentage, and certainly they're going to be a little less good on without Gordon and without George Hill. But I, I think it's just maybe a testament a little bit to what Quinn is able to run in the offensive system he has, that that was a top 10 shooting team last year with a personnel group that I don't think most people would have thought was. They had a lot of really good players, though. I mean, Hill shot it really well. Hayward did. Gobert, I think, led the league in true shooting percentage. I mean, they had a lot of efficient guys on that team, even if they didn't have that one guy i do agree the that snyder gets the the most out of guys offensively but i mean that was a team that i really believed in a lot and I, it was a shame to see that they couldn't ever quite get healthy to where we could see what they could do uh what are some of the weaknesses that are you know maybe some that we haven't hit on yet that are going to be a concern for this team 
Uh, I mean, I think Rodney Hood's ability to stay healthy. I mean, if you don't have Rod, you know, yeah. how are you scoring without Rodney? Um, probably part of the reason why I think Donovan Mitchell's going to average 15 points a game or more. Um, and uh, then secondarily, uh, uh, you know, just obviously how you're just going to score. But uh, I, I, I think this team, I think this team is pretty easy to to pick. And then, but I don't know if we know what the impact of these things are. I would look at just overall health. And in fact, this is something I wanted to get your take on of just the changes that they made to the medical staff. They brought in Mike. I can't remember his last name now. Elliot. The Suns. Mike Elliott. Thank you. Uh, and then they also brought in uh, someone from the Wizards whose name also escapes me at the moment. So what's uh, what was the reason for those moves and, and how are they feeling about having those guys in? I think just generally in the NBA, what we're seeing take place in the Jazz are no different is is that the the medical world changed, right? It used to just be an athletic trainer, a strength and conditioning coach, and then you kind of had an assistant equipment manager, kind of. And those were your three guys that were kind of floating around. And all of a sudden, those staffs have expanded the same as they should, the same way uh, that coaching staffs have. And so what you now have, you know, and I think everybody just added people, added people. Now you have the Jazz restructuring that and saying, okay, Mike Elliott's got this incredible background with the Phoenix Suns, which have generally been recognized as one of the premier uh, medical staffs in the country and in the league. And so they're going to take him and basically turn him into the general manager of the medical staff, right? Yeah. So then he hires the trainer and then, you know, looks Eric Waters out of Washington and adds him. And then you have your strength and conditioning coaches and you have your director of rehab and you have, and they all report to this one guy and you centralize a little more. I think the teams around the league kind of got into a position where you had this almost horizontal just adding of staff without necessarily doing it un- inside of a structure. And I think what the Jazz just did in their front office or when their medical staff is they just have now structured it. So it's probably got the same pyramid structure of Dennis Lindsay's the GM and he's got, you know, Walt Perrin and Dave Fredman and, and who are his, his guys. And he's got his assistant GMs now and Justin Zanuck and, and David Morway. And you've got your structure and they've done the same thing with their medical staff. Yeah, was there an acknowledgement that it was an area where they could be doing better with some of the injury problems that they've had? Uh, I I think there's no question that guys couldn't get healthy last year, and I, I don't know enough to. Nobody has said. Yeah. No, no, me neither. I, I, I said that too, to but I, I think it's, it's an yeah. area I'm very. I mean, it's well talked about. It's it's abundantly clear. Ronnie Hood didn't get healthy. Derek Favors didn't get healthy. Alec Burks didn't get healthy. Anyone to blame? Way beyond my uh, yeah. understanding of of the of the medical situation and and what it took place. But I, I think the bigger issue is what I said first, which is just overall, as we've evolved in how the medical staffs are built, with including strength and conditioning and, and biometrics and everything else and workloads and all these things, that you have to restructure that whole medical staff and the Jazz did it. All right, so your prediction is 41 and 41? Yeah, I might go 43 and 39. I might go 45 and 37 as a tribute <laughs> to Quinn. Um, but 45 with that schedule is what would have been 48. And um, so I, I think that that's um, so I think that's probably too high. But I, I I I'm curious to see the two the two things I think are undervalued in this league are defense. Okay, like it still comes down to differential. And then the other thing that I think is undervalued in this league is is depth because what I think is undervalued is beating the below 500 teams. 
Sure. Um, and I think depth allows you to do that. And that's what the Jazz did last year. They didn't win a lot of games against above 500 teams. And I think they'll be able to do that. The problem is they lost four games against below 500 teams. And that is a, a tremendous I, – I, I don't mean to overplay this. I'm not trying to sound – like I probably sound like this whining hometown guy of like, oh, my God, what a whiner. I can't even explain it. Like if, if you look last year, the Jazz last year were 15 and 22 – against opponents above 500. So they played 39 games against above 500 teams, and then and you can do the math. They played four. You lose. You lost 10% of your games against below 500 teams. That's a lot. And by the way, if you kind of do the math on the Jazz wait, last wait, losing 10% of your games against below 500 teams, yeah, you're saying that's a the, lot? Well, I think it is because it's two or three wins. No, I, I, I bet you that the— I mean, No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I didn't say that well enough to make sure people understood me. That's my fault. The, by not playing Sacramento, the Lakers, uh, oh, Dallas, oh, this year. Okay, yeah, I got you. Okay, Dallas, yeah, this year and, they've lost right. them. Yeah, they lost those. In Memphis is the fourth team. They lost four games against teams that are going to be below five hundred. On a, and I think the way they make the playoffs this year is replicating what they did last year, which was they went thirty six and six against team or 36 and nine against teams below 500 36 and nine yeah that, that's a, an amazing record i mean that's and so maybe you can make the point i mean they did beat the clippers in the playoffs obviously without blake griffin but they had their own injury problems as well uh but yeah i mean that's a team that takes care of business and plays hard every night for sure it doesn't lose the teams that they're not supposed to lose to and as we've had this conversation i mean i i predicted 41 yesterday when we were doing the over-unders so I took the over a little bit I mean I do think that the defense can be better than the offense is bad I mean I, I'm starting to come around to that idea that you know they could be the 25th best offense and the second best defense or the fourth best defense and the 23rd best offense and that gets you maybe to a little bit over 500 but I'm also concerned a little bit about the health aspect and that's you know if you could guarantee me that Rodney and Derek would be you know each play 65 70 games and be you know towards the higher end of their performance range over these last couple of years yeah you know you could sign me up for 46 47 wins for this group i just i'm not quite ready to believe in that yet so that's why i'm going with the 41 wins i i don't think the health can be worse um I, I, I'm not as convinced. I, I, I'm not as. This could just be because I, you know, hey, I'm I'm a Jazz guy. I'm not as convinced that the all the teams in front of the Jazz are that the three teams in front of the Jazz are that much better than there. I think the yeah. five. I think the five top teams are. I think Minnesota's going to have some real spacing issues that nobody's talking about. But I'm not convinced on this Clipper conglomeration of talent. Portland's really good. Denver's. Everyone's in love with Denver. Uh, I don't personally believe in late season surges. Like I think that's hit the track record shows on that. Um, did, did they have a late season surge, Denver? I think well, it was Portland. They finished the, Portland they did. They finished the 13 and nine in their final 22 games. And you quoted earlier that their offense was the number one in the league in the final 22 games of the season. No, no, no. I quoted that as soon as Jokic came into the starting oh, lineup okay. in December, they were number one. So, I mean, they were 13 and nine. Um, you know, no, Gallin- I think Portland, is, Portland is the Gallin- one to me. Gallinari is pretty good, by the way. Yeah. No, I, I agree. We, we, we talked about that a little bit yesterday, too. I, I think 
I would put Denver in a, a tier above, but I think the Jazz will be right in it with the Clippers and Memphis and Portland. You know, I think those will be four teams going for the final two spots is what I anticipate. You're more optimistic on Memphis than the bookkeepers. No, I agree. We we, uh, we talked about that yesterday, too. Um, and I think Millsap, by the way, I'm just going to throw a theory out there. You can just kind of hang this on your on your clothing line and then decide whether it's got any value or not. And then, and then we'll relieve everyone of listening to any more stuff from me. I believe that when, when guys who are a little undersized, now it's debatable whether Paul's still undersized or not because the game's changed. But those players that in every sport, I believe in this, when they lack the measurables and they slip at all, they fall off the cliff. Yeah. And my two best examples, if you want a football example, is former Pro Bowl middle linebacker Lofa Tutupu for the Seattle Seahawks was this undersized, how they draft him so early, had these three straight Pro Bowl years, he was too small, and the minute he fell off the a little bit, it absolutely fell off the cliff, and Carlos Boozer is the other one. Carlos Boozer was really good until he wasn't, and then he just fell right off the cliff. And I, looking at Paul Millsap's last two years, would be a little nervous in Denver that it might happen to him. Yeah, and that certainly is possible, although I will say that Millsap has managed to defy aging more than the normal aging curve over these last couple of years to be as good as he's been. And I think I expect him <coughs> offensively. I think I agree with you. I think they're really hoping to just get more out of him defensively and hopefully that with his mobility, that's something that can happen. But I agree with you. It could be that he doesn't have... The transformative his, his effect that people are hoping. His effective field goal percentage has gone from 52 to 50 to 48 in three years. Yeah, but that's fine because he's going to be their fourth option now or their third option. You know, I, I don't think it really matters that much, his scoring. It's really much more about the defense to me. I mean, he's coming into an offense that is already going to be really good. And so he can just kind of pass. They don't, they're not going to require him to create his own offense. Whereas in Atlanta last year, you know, they didn't really have anyone else to do that. He was simultaneously being asked to do much more creation while at the same time, his uh, athleticism is naturally declining in his early 30s. I've watched Paul stun everybody his whole career. I would not be surprised if he does it again. Uh, I'm just looking at him pure unemotionally, ignoring who he, his incredible uh, fight and will as a as a human, and looking at him purely analytically. And he is on my chart at 32 years old of being a uh, makes you a little nervous. Yeah, they got a long got a lot of young guys who I think can get better as well, especially on the on the defensive end. Um, what do you think is the best case scenario for uh, this Jazz team if everything goes right? Derek, Derek, and Rodney play the games you want them to. They're at the level that you want them to be. Where could you see them getting to? If they can get to be average offensively, they're going to be elite defensively, and then they're really good. Then 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 they're then they're then they're a little bit of a beast, and then they probably go and catch the Clippers, and they catch Denver, uh, and they probably are the sixth best team in the West if if they're able. To to do that yeah i mean i could see them getting to 48 wins maybe even 49 wins if you know i mean they could be the number one defense i would be even if those hood and and favors play about as well as you could expect offensively i still have a hard time seeing them getting out of the 20s but if they're the 20th best offense and the number one defense you know that could be a 49 50 win type of team agree i think that's a little high but you know we'll build a statue to quinn snyder he does <laughs> uh what about uh worst case scenario i mean we're not gonna say that like you know everyone misses like 
70 games here, but in terms of just realistically where guys have been with their injury histories. Uh, Again, I'm going to stay away from the injury stuff, but I I guess the worst case scenario is that the offense is so bad it doesn't allow them to be elite defensively. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I mean, I think they have a pretty high floor. I I don't see them getting much below maybe 36, 37 wins. uh, If if you do the history on teams that are in the top five defensively, and we're talking about them as the top three defensively, if you're elite defensively, you win a lot of basketball games. Um, Yeah. If you, if you do the research on that, it's 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 really clear and really defined on on that you win even the you know even the Scott Skiles team that was number two defensively and thirtieth offensively I think won forty one games. Uh, I think of teams that have been top five in the league defensively. There's only been about two or three that have ever been below five hundred. Uh, I, I actually think if you if you believe the Jazz are, are a top five defensive team, the over bet is a no brainer. Yeah, uh, uh, and it's just, I mean, I could, I have a fear that this could be a bottom five offense as well. But yeah, it, so you're saying that you think that even when teams are terrible on offense and really good on defense, that that somehow uh, ends up getting to be over 500, even if they're I, I mean, the, the I don't have either. the research right in front of me, but we've done a bunch of it, obviously, kind yeah. of in anticipation of this, and that's what it shows, is that... If you're if you're top five, it's really pretty incredible. If you're a top five defensive team, and then you're anything better than twentieth offensively, you're really quite good. And then even if you're in the near the bottom, you end up being you end up being at least a five hundred team. It's very hard to be a top five defensive team in the NBA and not be five hundred. Yeah, no, I I can't think of very many, and also I think part of that too is just that there's some some selection bias there. That if you are that good of a defensive team, you just you have good coaching, you have players who are going to buy in, who are going to not make mistakes, who can just do enough and execute offensively to beat some of the the worst teams, even if you don't have a, a ton of talent. With you, hundred percent. Um. All right, I think uh, we can get you out of here. Uh, thanks so much for, for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, anything you want to promote or, or anything about this team that you wanted to hit on uh, that we didn't get to? No, I mean, I'll always promote the guys that are working incredibly hard on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Uh, you do an incredible job on the national end of things daily. If somebody wants the local end of their favorite team, make sure they go get their Lockdown version of it. Or if there's a big breaking story and they want the local angle, Make sure they hook into the local Locked On Podcast Network. And if you're a crazy NBA junkie, you can subscribe to the Locked On Podcast NBA channel and get them subscribed in that manner. So make sure you go grab them. Yeah, David always has some interesting perspective as well. He'll have uh, coaches and scouts come on anonymously on the show. Those are always really interesting episodes. Gets great guests also. And obviously you're getting an example of some of the guys from the Lockdown Network with some of the uh, team previews that we've been doing. So thanks again for coming on, David. And we'll be right back with uh, Mason Ginsburg and the Pelicans right after this. Before we move on here, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Betterment. Betterment presents financial fact number 24. Not all financial advisors are required by law to act in your best interest. This means that if you're better off investing in company A, they may advise you to invest in company B because they may get a kickback from that transaction. A financial advisor that commits to providing advice in your best interest is called a fiduciary and Betterment is a fiduciary. Betterment is the largest independent online financial advisor and promises to act in its customers' best interest. How? Betterment is built on technology to bring you sophisticated investing and financial advice that is constantly working to optimize your money to help you reach your financial goals, all to lower cost and more traditional financial services. If you like talking to a person, Betterment also offers calls with their team of CFP professionals and licensed financial experts. Regardless of what service you prefer, you pay only a flat fee starting at 0.25%. There are no additional charges for transactions, transfers, or rebalancing. 
Betterment also offers other special tools as well, like Tax Impact Preview, allowing you to see the estimated effect any moves you make may have on your tax liability. Not all investment services tell you what your tax bill could be because they may make money from your transactions. Betterment also has Smart Deposit, which allows you to automatically invest any funds above a certain balance in your bank account. This is a great time to get started with Betterment and save for your retirement or other financial goals because Dunktown listeners can get up to six months of no management fees. Learn how at Betterment.com slash Capspace. That's Betterment.com slash Capspace. All right, time to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans, a star-crossed franchise really since their inception, certainly since the name change. But they were able to pull off the DeMarcus Cousins trade, Dell Dumps perhaps saving his job with that. But despite having what two people what people might have said were two top 15 players in the NBA as recently as the start of last season it doesn't really seem like there's much optimism for this team and now I'm joined by Mason Ginsburg who uh of Bourbon Street Shots is, is that still you're still there are you doing anything else as well these days uh j- just that mostly yeah all right so that's uh probably my favorite Pelicans blog but uh good to have you back on it again Mason and uh yeah I mean it, it seems like there's just and especially with the Solomon Hill news now with his hamstring injury that there's just no optimism around this team do you get that feeling as well it's funny i remember we did this two years ago uh and it feels like we're talking about all the same things uh granted like you said demarcus cousins edition definitely helps but uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, the injury bug comes back, you know, that we all thought finally going to get a healthy team in the training camp because even last year, it wasn't an injury. It was Drew Holiday and his wife. The, um, the sad news that fortunately, you know, everything, everything went, went perfectly, but, uh, you know, missed him for training camp, missed him for the first month of the season. So uh, it seems like it's always something. And, you know, great to well, Solomon Hill's not a, a, a huge, that, that he shouldn't make or break the team season. That should be AD and Cousins, but it's still, it hurts, especially from a depth perspective. Yeah, well, they just really don't have anyone else on the roster right now uh, other than Pondexter who hasn't played in literally two seasons uh, that uh, can he guard the opposing team's three yeah I mean and, that's, and Hill was I, Hill was stretched as a three to begin with uh, offensively but at least was competent there defensively I mean, and you know there's talk maybe it'll have happened by the time this runs uh, that Dante Cunningham could return there but they're they've got uh tax issues with that they can only really offer in the one year minimum and so uh, they don't have anyone who can guard the three now it's really weird yeah, I mean, I think uh, the only other guy they have, and the jury is definitely still out on him, is Darius Miller. I mean, um, can he do most of what Solomon Hill did on offense, which is not much? Yeah, but I mean, we do, we really don't, really don't know what he's capable of defensively. Um, he was fine his first stint in New Orleans, um, not good, but he was passable. Uh, so we'll, you know, we'll see. It seems like he'll get um, a heavier burden early than that we may have expected. Yeah, uh, Aaron Jackson, who played in Europe last year, was on my show about a month ago. He actually spoke very highly of Darius, that he was the best player in the German league, and maybe he's made some progress. I think Kevin Pelton said that his statistical translations are not any more encouraging than they were when he left but we'll see. I mean, he's certainly going to get a, a chance to prove he can play. That's for sure. Yep. Uh, no, no doubt. I mean, his first stint, I remember specifically the, the biggest thing was he's very, very passive. He was you know, a four-year guy at Kentucky. Didn't, you know, was that six-man glue guy and kind of kind of filled the same role in, in New Orleans. Didn't really do much. He was just, I mean, his usage rate was, you know, really, really low. And, um, you know, he was fine, but you barely noticed him on the court and he's going to have to step up and, uh, and make some shots this time around. Well, so where I want to start last year, after the trade, they disappointed they did not get into contention for the playoffs after it was all said and done ended up getting to the point where they're shutting down ad and cousins by the end of the season 
but how did this team look once Cousins was acquired? Uh, I mean, so I, the way I've looked at it, um, if I mean, this is clearly a, a bit of an optimistic approach, but uh, I, there were three different segments of the second half of the season. There was really the end of February, uh, where the first three or four games, there was clearly some some co- uh, you know some issues getting the guys to to learn how to play together because midseason, such a drastic change like adding Cousins when Davis had been playing a lot of center for the first few months of the season. It, it's a it's a giant stylistic change. And so there was clearly some growing pains. Uh, they also played some some pretty good teams. Houston Rockets uh, blew the door off against them. But, um, you know, that was tough. Yeah, I, I remember that game. I mean, that was a game we go through every every month and we say what were like the best wins and the worst losses. And that lo- loss, the first game after Cousins had been acquired when they just lost by 30 at home was really disheartening. I remember that game. Right. Um, and then, then you get into March and it looks like, you know, the, the team's starting to figure it out. Um, you know, the, their net rating in March was the third best in the NBA. Um, I mean, the, there there were obviously some some bumps. The, the schedule was, I think, about average. It wasn't really hard. It wasn't really soft either. Um, and so the, the team, I mean, they went 10 and 6 in March. So win-loss record, they weren't, you know, they weren't crushing it. But, you know, they were outscoring their opponents by decent decent margin. Uh, and then obviously they were eliminated from playoff contention and kind of shut the big the big boys down in, in, in April for the last like three or four games. So um, so all, all, the all in picture is about, you know, maybe a little disappointing, but if you, if you pull out, you know, that March period where, you know, get past a little bit of growing pains and, and before the team ultimately got shut down, um, just because they were out of the playoff race, there, there are some, some signs of growth. How did cousins and AD play together? And then, you know, there obviously were times when they're staggered as well. How did they look in those situations? There was some awkwardness. I mean, it's the, you have two ball dominant big men, uh, who, who, you know, play play well with the, with the ball going through them, uh, particularly with Cousins. I know you, know you see both these guys. They like to handle the ball. They like to do a lot of different things. Um, and that was, you know, that, that was tough. Uh, but, I mean, they, they grew together. Um, I, I think as the season wore on, as we got closer to the end of the season, while while uh, they were eliminated from the playoffs uh, towards the end, they they, you know, they they did start to figure it out. Um, I, I think uh, another training camp will, will definitely help help these guys. Um and, and specifically with Drew Holiday, because he was the one that really seemed real, mostly out of place. I think Cousins and AD started to figure it out, but but Holiday really couldn't couldn't quite get it going with those two. And I think that partially drove the the move to push him off off the ball a little bit. Um, but uh, but you know, I, I think I think the training camp together, which really this team hasn't hasn't had, sounds silly, but um, it would be, it's going to be helpful to have you know their their best three players all playing the entire training camp and preseason together this year. Yeah, and that's definitely I think a solid big three on any team it's just after that you really have to wonder where the production is going to come from here's some stats on cousins and davis together only played 394 minutes offensive rating was not good although they happened to shoot extremely poorly i believe oh no actually i think it was that that when cousins was on the floor without davis team shot like well over 40 percent on threes if memory serves uh and you can jump in here on these if you have better recollection than than i do but when they did play together 2.8 net rating but not great on offense 102.5 99.6 on defense didn't really get on the offensive glass at all you would think that would be a strength but Alvin Gentry has really fastidiously emphasized getting back on defense rather than the offensive glass that's been one of the big drops in Davis's production in the in the Gentry era uh but nothing else really sticks out about their performance there but they were plus three with those guys on the court but I think given the lack of depth they're going to need to be even better when those 
two guys are both out there this season. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the biggest thing that really hit them was the fact that in the trade you lost um, you, you lost shooting and and not just shooting you lost willing shooting. So Langston Galloway and Buddy Heald were the two 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 guys on the on this roster that were gonna put, put it up most frequently, and they both shot pretty well. And so losing those two guys uh, combined with adding a couple of guys down guys down low that are all stars that could really use the spacing to to help them really get get room to operate. I mean, you you had you just had a lack of willing shooting from beyond the perimeter, and and obviously it wasn't good either. But Drew Holiday, you know, above average, not great three point shooter. Etwan Morris is very good three point shooter, but just the volume wasn't there. So I think that's that's driven. Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Ian Clark a little later. I know you're not terribly high on him, but at least he's a guy that's going to get shots up and can make the threes uh, three pointers at a at a better rate. So uh, that's that's something that this, these two big men will definitely uh, definitely need this season. So I think. It- Overall for this team, negative 1.6 net rating a year ago. Their record was 34 and 48. Expected record, they're unlucky by one game. Expected win-loss of 35 wins. A disappointment, and I think most people expected them in the 37-38 win range, being at least in playoff contention. But that ended up not being the case. They started off, what, 0-8 without Holiday? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was just a real, yeah. real tough sledding start. Yeah, so th- that was pretty difficult. Um, I mean, who is going to shoot the ball on this team? And that's, that's really my question. I mean, maybe they could be it's possible they could be better offensively now with hill being out but it's just it's it's very difficult for me to see how this team doesn't end up less than the sum of their parts offensively because of just no real shooting at the two and three positions yeah or i'm sorry I, mean, I guess it would be the one and three at this point because they're going to start rondo <laughs> Yeah, um, it, it's I, I'm really interested to see how they work these rotations, particularly the starting lineup now with no Solomon Hill, because you do have an opportunity, um, you know, despite the the loss on the defensive end. If uh, I've been uh, I, I personally hope they start a ton more alongside Rondo and Drew Holiday. I mean, will more be overmatched against some of the, the bigger wings in the league? Yeah, uh, he, he will. But I don't think that's a problem for as many teams in the league as we might think, uh, you know, at first our first assumption. So, um, you know, that that gives enough shooting uh and rondo people will be really quick to point out that he's been great from beyond the arc the past two years but obviously i'm not buying it i look at the i look at the awful free throw percentage and that's just i mean it's a small sample size i i really well, don't see and, it continuing great <laughs> great is meaning okay he shot a, a solid percentage but he doesn't take enough and he still doesn't get guarded i mean that's the the right. bigger issue i mean yeah okay he makes one out of every you know 2.8 three pointers that he takes per game so that's basically you know one play where he's making the defense pay for not guarding him and there's 40 plays where he's not getting guarded and it's messing up your spacing right exactly and that's that that's the that's the real issue is is the fact that you don't have uh any guys who your the defense is going to run out and say oh man we gotta we gotta stop him we gotta stop his three-point shot and so while they have guys above average shooters uh, the question is how much space can they really create for for the big for the big man down uh down low and so uh, yeah, it, it's it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, because they've come out and said that Rondo's is the plan is for him to start at the one, Holiday to start at the two, and then Hill probably would have been the starting three. He's really a four, but he would have started at the three. Quincy Pondexter, no indication that he's going to be back other than just some hope. Uh, and so really, your only options to start at the three are Jordan Crawford and Etwan Moore. I mean, that's it. Like they don't, 
uh, or whoever they sign, uh, maybe if they can get Cunningham to come back or, or Miller. I mean, that's basically it. Yeah. So maybe I, it'll be Miller. Yeah, I would look at I think it's either Miller or Moore. Um, so that's uh, it's going to come down to those two guys. And I, per, I, I prefer I mean, <laughs> given those two options, right, we, we don't know what Darius Miller is going to do back in the NBA. And so I, I think I think Moore makes makes a lot of sense. Um, he's I mean, against Golden State opening night, it's not going to go so well, but against other teams, it might. Yeah, they always seem to play Golden State in like the first two or three games of the season when they're like completely compromised <laughs> by injuries. Uh, so they signed Rondo. I mean, how do you see Rondo and Holiday working together? Um, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a huge, uh, Rondo fan, but I, I understand, I understand why they brought him in. Um, you know, there's not a lot of veteran leadership on this team. Um, you know, and for all, for all the knocks on him on the court, he's been, he, all the you know, Bulls teammates said he was a great, great guy in the locker room for them. Really, uh, you know, really helped out that young squad. And I think, I think he's going to be a, a good leader for this New Orleans team. He's, uh, his reputation has been very inconsistent. Um, and if things go south for New Orleans, I mean, you've got a potential um, fire hazard in the locker room between him and Cousins, but uh, I, I do think um, he provides some 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 veteran veteran leadership for this team from a from a basketball perspective. And so, um, I, with with Holiday, I mean, I I, I think it's going to help having two two ball handlers. I mean, uh, Drew Holiday played better with Tim Frazier uh, towards the end of last year, and so I, I think the hope is that Rondo can really uh, help and, and do things some of the, some things that, that Tim Frazier maybe struggled doing. Uh, particularly in the ball handling perspective. Uh, obviously, neither of them are, are particularly good shooters, but uh, I think it's just to, to allow Drew to really kind of roam and, and, and feel comfortable and, and get get his shots and and, and just be able to um, you know not feel like he has to um, be in charge of, of so much of, of of what you know Anthony Davis and Demarcus Cousins need. Why was he unsuccessful in that period after Cousins arrived last year? Um, spa- spacing, uh, just the, 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 the lane was clogged. Uh, that, that's the, that's the easiest answer. The, the film kind of, kind of backs that up. Um, but yeah, he, he just, I mean, he was used to Davis playing center and sometimes Davis kind of falling towards the outside and having a lot of room in the paint to, to move around. And suddenly now you have Davis and cousins still trying to figure out how to, how to play together. And it just got to be pretty congested. And so, um, you know, it's a, I think it was a, a long, a larger learning curve for him than, than for some of the other guys. Yeah. And if, if I recall, he shot unsustainably poorly during that period as well. Uh, um, yeah. And Miller, a little bit more on him last year in Germany played for uh bros baskets and shot 41 percent from the european line and took uh, about 60 percent of his shots from downtown 324 shots for from downtown in all according to real gm and that's a pretty good rate you know it sounds that sounds like at least a guy who is willing to get those shots up i mean if, if you're taking that many i mean that's a lot of three-point attempts for an nba season and uh that's only in in 71 games that he played across all leagues both the euro league and uh the german league so uh definitely a guy who maybe can make shots i, I always thought the big limitation with him was his athleticism he's uh, i think while strong and has a defensive mentality really a below average nba athlete on the wing was that your recollection of him from a couple of years ago yeah yeah spot on that's that's uh that's pretty much how how he played and he was just he was just timid but i mean he was a rookie a second year guy and so um the hope 
hope is now with getting confidence playing overseas, seeing seeing the ball go through the hoop, seeing his shot uh, really materialize that he'll be a little more aggressive this time around. How do you see the rotation playing out among some of these guards that they have? I mean, they've got Rondo, Ian Clark, Frank Jackson, the number 31 pick, which they moved up to get. Then you've got Holiday at the two, uh, more, although he'll probably have to play some three. And then Jordan Crawford, who played very well after coming over from China late in the season, although if Holiday shot unsustainably poorly, perhaps Crawford shot unsustainably well, but certainly a guy who maybe doesn't need as much spacing because he's just going to jack up along two anyway. And, and that's a role that this team probably needs, frankly. But if you had to guess, how would you see the minutes being distributed among really those six players? Yeah. So uh, as far as the minutes breakdown is concerned, I mean, before we were, pre- it was pretty easy to make the call that Rondo was going to see the fewest minutes out of the starting five. But now with Solomon Hell out, uh, you're going to have to mix and match a little bit. And so, I mean, I think you'll see uh, you know, Darius Miller and Etuan Moore get the the most of those Solomon Hill minutes um, at at the three. Or I mean, you're just going to see a bunch of three guard lineups from New Orleans. Really, is what what's going to happen. Um, I, I mean, Quincy Pondexter. Hopefully, he can come back and and, and contribute. Uh, I, I won't believe it until I see him actually on the floor in a, in a game. Even a preseason game would be would be a, an upgrade. Um, Jordan Crawford's another guy you mentioned. He's they're going to rely on him particularly on the offensive end because he's not going to not going to help New Orleans much on the on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and so, the, I mean, those are, the, those are the main guys. Frank Jackson, I was not expecting to do much of anything this year at the NBA level. Um, but, you know, one more injury and that, that, that'll change. So, um, so, so we'll see. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to, it's going to be a lot of three, three guard lineups to really replace. I mean, well, I, I don't know what the deal with Dante Cunningham is. Um, I know New Orleans clearly wants him back. He was a, he was good for them as a, as a small ball four is really where he's best. Um, but he can play the three in a pinch, which is this, I think this qualifies as a pinch. So, um, so yeah, I mean, while the roster might not quite, quite be done, I think, I think the moral of the story is a lot, lots of three guard lineups, um, to try to give as much shooting as possible, uh, to, to Anthony Davis and to Marcus Cousins. Yeah. And, and I think Clark will be interesting, I think, for just the minimum, given what their constraints were, a fine signing, probably on a good team, more of a five or 10 minute a game type of player due to his defensive limitations, his ball handling limitations, but can make an open shot. I mean, not a guy who's going to like rocket off screens and rise up. You know, he shoots it from his waist. He doesn't have the most versatile jump shot in the world, but at least if he stands out there, he can make make some open shots and at least is a solid cutter although this is not a team that's been like you know pinging the ball around necessarily the way the Warriors do what about the front court I think that Hill's loss in some ways is just as underrated in the front court because he I thought was going to be play a lot of backup four next to either Cousins or Davis when they're not playing together so what are they going to do in the backup front court now Mm, I mean I I think the Pelicans really do look at Solomon Hill as their as their small forward Um, and will he play a little bit at the four with with one of those two guys yeah yeah, yeah, maybe, but um, and I, I think he did a little bit last year. But I think I think that like that's what they wanted Dante Cunningham back for. I think that's really where where Cunningham thrives and is at his best. And so. Uh, I mean, without without Hill, uh, I mean, you're going to see. Uh, I I think they're going to uh, really look at uh, give give Czech Diallo a chance to get some some backup minutes. I mean, he's he was very good in the daily last year. He was good in his uh, limited NBA minutes. Obviously, he's gonna he's very young, and it's going to be a process. I don't expect him to get more than you know a few minutes here and there. But I think I think he's a guy that they're actually going to you know they're going to look at in preseason and see can he help this this roster. But um, you know, a, a, apart from that, uh, you had the you have uh, Omer and 
and, and a Jinsa who, um, you know, they're not good, but uh, they can they can either one of them, if they're healthy, can fill in a few minutes at the end of the at the end of the rotation in the front court. Yeah. And worth discussing here, too, where they are in terms of the tax and the hard cap. I have them right now, eighty eight hundred and eighty eight thousand dollars below the tax and not a, a team that I believe has ever paid the tax. Not a great team here, but maybe in this fateful year where they are going to try to convince Cousins to resign they might be willing to do it and and for this team the um august 31st is the final deadline to stretch a player and pondexter in the last year of his contract maybe you could think he'd be a candidate but now they're hoping that he's actually going to play so there isn't an obvious way for them to get off of money agenta has a whole nother year left after this so does ashik so i think they're going to just continue to be playing this dance with the tax all year long maybe they'll give up a future second rounder to try and get off a, a smaller salary if in fact it appears that pondexter can't play you know maybe around the trade deadline is what we'll see but they certainly have been playing uh uh, you know doing uh the limbo here to stay under the tax and they are also hard cap they've got about six million to work with there but uh, the tax seems like the bigger issue in terms of even just adding Cunningham for example the issue with Cunningham it appears like is they can't offer him a second year because then the whole minimum salary goes on to their tax uh, bill and their team salary as opposed to if it's a one-year deal then you only have to pay the second year minimum and and they really feel like they can't afford that problem. So I think actually that's I think they can give a two year. But uh, the problem with the with New Orleans right now is not I, uh, in my opinion it's it's the hard cap. It's not the tax. But that's because I, I think they're right at the the hard cap because of all the the unguaranteed money or are the incentives all the incentives that they put in Drew Holiday's contract. So oh, they're that's actually right. yeah. they're actually very close to the to the hard cap. And so they really can't go into the luxury tax. Or if they can, it's by such a small amount that it does not it's not worth it and so the the problem with that is yeah so they're basically at the hard cap they can offer a two-year minimum i think but that's about it and so if they want to get any further under they're gonna have to move someone um or i mean uh jordan crawford's contract's unguaranteed until i, I can't remember what the date is but i don't think that's a, i don't think that's gonna happen i think he's he's too big of a, of a bargain contract for, for what they're paying him and so basically they'd have to trade or stretch one of the you know one of the two big men uh in order to free up free up more room but um so it's a uh, it's it's definitely a very tricky situation yeah that's right i I forgot about that because the hard cap includes uh, unlikely bonuses as well which i did not have in my sheet so thanks for reminding me of that uh who uh could get better on this team i mean it's really gonna have to be a lot of internal improvement for them right um so i mean if we're starting with players who were on the team last year i mean i I look at Etwan Moore as a guy who i I don't think he was bad for new orleans last year but he just i think he can stand to be more uh aggressive especially from beyond the arc and and get the three-point rate up um, so I, I think he was fine defensively. Um, I think he's an above average, not great, but an above average defensive player. Um, I really and I really think that given more of an offensive role or, or, and or given a more th- defined role, which I think is you know shoot some threes, make them, and help create some space for the big men. Uh, I really think that he can uh, make a make a leap this this year in terms of his uh, efficiency and productivity. So he's the first guy um, I would look at to improve. Yeah, more only 4.1 three point attempts per 36 minutes last 
last season to put that into context Solomon Hill who is not a, a good three-point shooter uh, actually it was 35 percent last year but uh again not a very high volume Dante Cunningham uh, not a high volume guy either uh, both of those guys are around uh, that same level by comparison the departed Langston Galloway shot 8.6 three-point attempts uh, per uh, 36 minutes so he actually got them up there a little bit more uh and yeah I think that that's one uh, what about Cousins I I thought that there are these reports that he is just in so much better shape this year I mean we hear that every year about him although actually I don't think we did hear them last year come to think of it but uh you know because that to me is where this team is really gonna have to make their money on the defensive end and be an excellent defense and if Cousins is gonna defend as poorly as he did last year that becomes much more difficult yeah I mean uh, overall the past few years it feels like Cousins has been a, a fine defender not but the problem has been you know effort and the, this endurance so I mean you saw in New Orleans yeah. he would he would kind of live between the three-point line sometimes which is not what they need from him and so yeah I you know assuming that he actually is in much better shape and he does I mean he does look way slimmer so um you know that's that's definitely a, a good a good sign but um they're gonna need him to be able to go you know baseline to baseline uh and if he can do that that's that's really gonna help this team out as well so I, I would agree yeah and Cousins part of the reason too you know he he was really bad in pick and roll defense last year and then his foul rate 4.7 per 36 minutes you know if you compare that to AD who's amazingly only 2.2 fouls for for as many shots as he blocks per 36 minutes but I mean basically if you're getting 4.7 fouls per 36 minutes that means you're getting to five fouls every game you're going to be in foul trouble at some point you're going to miss time and part of why he gets in foul trouble I mean part could just be that he constantly complains to the refs but the other part is that he's out of shape and so he's reaching he's out of position committing fouls I mean just I think everyone who's been tired on a basketball court you know you just sort of have the feeling like there's this voice in the back of your head like I'm tired let's just stop the action here and that in addition to just being out of position leads to more fouls so he's got to stay on the court more for this team especially now because at backup big man they really don't have much Right. Yeah. And I think a little piece of his reputation too. Um, and that works both ways. Like I think maybe Anthony Davis fouls a little more than, uh, you know, he gets credit benefit of the doubt for the superstar calls, but cousins, the reputation he has, maybe he gets whistled a little more than he should. And so um, that, but I mean, it's definitely true. Um, I, I think that uh, in better shape, he'll be able to really um, not have to take as many gambles. So, um, and now that's, that's an issue. I remember a couple of years ago with Alexia Jensa, while he's, uh, he took a big step backward in my opinion last last season but he was i mean the one thing that was always holding him back was a foul rate of like seven something something insane um so i mean yeah that i mean it it, it makes a big difference and so uh we need to cousins needs to make sure that his foul rate stays down so they don't have to play agents ironically enough i mean is there any way that they get anything at all out of ashik or agents i mean those guys started playing a little bit and then they just got knocked out of the rotation nearly completely they were starting ad at center during maybe their best stretch of the season before cousins arrived i mean are those guys just done should we just write them off completely as contributors or is there some chance they could bounce back and at least give them something i i think with agenda there's a chance i mean the, the guy he's seven foot two he can knock down a mid-range jumper he's not a good defender um i mean he can block shots because of his size but he's not he's not a, a good particularly good defender at all um but i i really do think he's got enough he has enough nba skills to be able to be serviceable for for a little a, a bit of every game with omer it's just i mean he he came back from the all-star break and had had this infection um, and, and he never bounced back. And, and I've heard that this summer it's it, it's still lingering. And so, I mean, with him, it's just 
there's no there's no way to expect anything out of, out of him. Who knows how much weight he's lost? And he was not he wasn't exactly a big guy to begin with. So um, I, I I think I'm in the same boat with him as I am with Pondexter, where he was at one point he was a serviceable player, and but I mean until I actually see him on the court um, making making a difference, and I'm I'm not going to buy into it. What's the next step for AD? He's still only really at uh, age 24 right now. Can he improve his game at all? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are a couple, I think, key areas for Anthony Davis this year. Obviously, they want him to keep uh, you know keep improving the, the jump shot. Uh, three, at three-point range would be great. He didn't do well at that shot last year. He did shoot them, though. Um, so I, I'm sure that's an area they'll look to hopefully have him uh, continue to improve. Passing the ball is another area. And I think, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm blanking on his name, the, the Denver Nuggets assistant coach that they, that they brought in um, I, with him and Cousins. Right, Chris Finn. Sorry. Thank you. Um, I, I think that that's one area of the game, I think. I think they will really look for AD to improve as well. His his assist rate was very low last year. He didn't really he didn't really pass much at all. And so that's one area that where Cousins is actually pretty strong. And so between having Cousins with him and having uh, Chris Finch on on uh, with with the squad too, I think that's an area they'll look at. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether they can get some of that DHO type of action. And, and maybe Ian Clark could be effective in some of that stuff, uh, but running stuff through the elbows. And Cousins, uh, and maybe to a lesser extent, Davis certainly have the ability to do that. It's just a question of whether there's going to be enough shooting around those guys to where you can really space the floor out, get cutters going to the basket, uh, and there's not just going to be help all over those guys uh, from the weak side corner. Uh, or you can just go under on those DHO actions and then you know there's really no reason to guard them the 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 Pels other than maybe Crawford and perhaps Holiday don't really have anyone where they're going to come off that DHO and just fire away what about uh potential regression candidates uh, on this team I mean obviously Hill he's already gotten the injury so we we can leave him out but is there anyone that you felt played unsustainably well last season who or or just due to age might fall off yeah so as as far as regressions concerned I, I I mean the team was bad last year i think worse than uh, a lot of people expected um so i'm not sure how many players i can really point to as clear clear regression candidates um jordan crawford's obviously a big one uh we talked about that a little bit already but i mean, he came on and was great offensively for the pelicans and you know i i was i didn't even think i, I thought it was silly to sign him i thought the pelicans should be looking for a younger guy who had more potential or upside at that point in the season when the playoffs were kind of out of reach and he came on him and, and was great and but i i just yeah i think he can still positively contribute for the team i just don't know how you know how i don't know if he can be as good um the only other guy yeah, i can crawford, think of is uh crawford is, by the is, way is shot uh Crawford, by the way, shot uh, 44% or I'm sorry, 44% of his shots from downtown hitting 39% of them. So he was jacking them up and he was making them. Uh, and uh, that's uh, can't expect him to, to do that again. But sorry, you're going to say who the other guy was you, you thought might be a regression candidate. Playoff Rondo. <laughs> the first two games of the playoffs, he was, was fantastic. And um, I think it suffices to say that I, I don't expect that level of uh, production from Rondo uh, this year. I mean, it's amazing. He he basically saved his entire reputation with those two games. I guess he had a couple of decent stretches before that, like right towards the end of the year. But overall, I mean, he just w- was not an effective player last year. He didn't get guarded. The Bulls point guards were a total open tour. 46% true shooting. Uh, never, ever, ever got to the foul line. It was even at a career low free throw rate, uh, 9% free throw rate, and really even wasn't assisting it as much as he had in the past either 
so it like and turns it over a ton uh 23 uh, of his possessions so there and his defense was pretty miserable throughout nearly the entire season as well too just getting stuck on screens turning it into a switch whether you wanted to switch it or not showed more effort there in the playoffs but again that's like two games where he was really good and whether he is he is able to turn it on or not he clearly no longer can for 82 games and uh you know i fear that that may be as long as this pelican season goes yeah it really on the offensive side it really is miraculous because we know that he shot i mean on, on low volume but he shot fine from three point per three point land and he he's not a good free throw shooter but he didn't get to the line much and so how is his how is his true shooting percentage that low it's just because he, he he missed everything else um, but I, you know, I I do think I, I do expect a bounce back of sorts on on the defensive end a little bit because the one thing I, I think it's not doesn't get talked about enough is that he hasn't been on a on a on a good team or a team with with a, a couple of, a, like stars like this in, in a while. I mean, obviously Jimmy well, Butler. What, what in about Chicago. the Bulls? Yeah, the the whole the whole three alphas: Dwayne Wade, Jimmy Butler. That was like supposed to be one of the, these teams. Dallas certainly a veteran team where he was you know supposed to fit in. So I, I don't know. I, I have to say I. I don't think that excuse holds any water at all. <laughs> well, uh, I, I just, I, I think if this, uh, I guess it all depends on how the season starts. I mean, like if, if we go, if this thing goes south in a, in a hurry, then I think you could quickly lose a lot of the, uh, uh, lose a lot of the locker room. And, and it's just, it's, it can be a very volatile situation, but I mean, we, we, we saw what he did in the playoffs. And so, I mean, if, if things are going right, I, I think, I, I think you can see a, a little more out of Rondo on the defensive end, but um, I mean, I, I, I no arguments on the, on the wishful thinking perspective perspective on that one yeah no and it's just i think the whole personality thing with him is at the point now where it's overblown it's almost in some ways his difficult personality has worked in his favor because it's like oh yeah you know i know he sucked but like he hasn't been trying so if as soon as he tries he he's gonna be good where it's like hey maybe he's just not good you know like how how about that like he hasn't been good in four years and really since the acl injury and that was 2013 you know it's 2017 now but by the way for for those uh who have followed his career and you know what i know he played well in those two games but man i mean it's just i I really would have liked to have seen them just go in another direction and get somebody who can shoot the ball or even pretend to guard the the three um what do you think is going to be uh coach gentry's uh, crunch time lineup here man um well i mean you gotta start with the big three obviously with drew ad and uh and cousins but uh i think it all it'll it'll depend i i'm not sure he's gonna have one one go-to um i would have said uh if solomon hill continued to maybe shoot the ball at least pass passively on the um from beyond the arc and you said 35 percent last year if he got a little better there like that's a potential i mean he, he could have definitely played a lot of crunch time minutes but now with him out um, I mean, I, I I really like it's one more uh, as as a guy in that in that group, and I think they're gonna go with Rondo. I mean, I, I it will, will it's the odds of it working out. I mean, probably not not great, but I, I think that's the kind of situations that they, they they brought him in for because this is just such a young and experienced team. Um, but uh, I, so if you're asking what I think they're gonna go with, I think that's I think that's the five. Maybe Darius Miller in there if he really shows like he's a new player uh, as opposed to what they had last time he was in New Orleans, but. Well, so so, what do you think it should be then? Um, uh, it's tough. I mean, I, I I would probably go with. I mean, so more Holiday, Cousins, Davis are the, are four, and 
Uh, I mean, Darius Miller is my default answer. I agree with you. I, I, I think he's going to give you more more floor spacing, and he's going to be enough defensively uh, to, to get by. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's right, because Rondo is underrated how bad he is defensively as well. I mean, I think at least with that group, you know, if, if Miller can play some passable defense on the wing, you've got like a solid enough defensive group, and you've got like three guys who can at least like stand at the three-point line, and you can't just leave them wide open, and then you just just say all right you know i realize we don't have a ton of creation drew maybe you know could use another guy off the dribble around him in theory but you know fine we'll just throw it into the post to cousins or ad and let them go to work against these guys and you know just try and defend on the other end i mean i think that really is especially you know crunch time to me is like sort of a microcosm of playoff basketball sometimes where your weaknesses are really magnified and that lineup at least to me is the lineup with the least weaknesses that they can put out there assuming that Miller and more can actually hit shots. Right. And like, so, I mean, we're talking about small sample sizes here, but if you look at their, their five man lineups from last year, I mean, of, of those with more than 75 minutes, by far the best uh, net rating was Cousins, Davis, Holiday Moore, and Solomon Hill. That that got a plus 16.4 net rating in uh, in 80 minutes. And so, I mean, just flip Solomon Hill with uh, with with Darius Miller, you're you're going to lose on the defensive end, but you're hopefully going to gain a little more uh, floor spacing on the offensive end. So, um, I think that's I think that's their best their best finishing five. Um, I, I think I think Rondo's going to be in there though somewhere. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, maybe the, they'll just come to the conclusion that it's not working with him. You know, and I know that Cousins enjoys playing with him during his time in, in Sacramento and, and Rondo maybe could be a good influence. And there's this worry, I'm sure, that if he gets benched, you're going to lose him or whatever. But he's been through that in Chicago. And, and so, yeah, I, I think you might be right. Another thing I want to talk about, too, here, this is the last year of Alvin Gentry's contract. I think he signed a three year, nine million dollar deal. Am I remembering that correctly? Um, yeah, I think there might be a fourth option player a uh, fourth like option, oh, a but team, team option yeah, team option, that, yeah. That, that would make sense if there would be a team option on it but uh to my knowledge that has not been exercised so he, he is a potential lame duck here i mean uh, what's your assessment of his tenure so far uh oh, oh i mean okay um i'm not i'm not thrilled um but i also know that he's dealt with uh, a, a lot of injuries uh a team that really never never got to, to full strength and so he's got a little bit of a, a leash there but i mean it's if there's no playoffs this year i mean everything comes crashing down and it's not just gentry like <laughs> this is such a giant year for for new orleans i mean there's the the ripple effect of you know not making the playoffs is is gigantic and so it, it just it goes past alvin gentry it, it's the, it's the front office too so very very important season on the horizon you know i mean i i agree with you there but i mean even making the playoffs like is that really good enough for anthony davis i mean anthony davis will be in the same situation this year that kyrie irving and jimmy butler both were uh paul george had one less season remaining on his deal same situation similar to where cousins was actually in sacramento uh with cousins was traded mid way through the season where he had one more year left on his deal after that so it really starts to get to the point where you know if they can't prove to davis that there is some kind of a path to contention here and maybe he's just a different kind of guy he's loyal he certainly has been extremely loyal in every public comment he's made but we've seen many a player do that so far he certainly has never given any indication he might want to leave but another desultory season here three straight out of the playoffs or even you know if they go make the playoffs against the warriors i mean i think in some ways getting swept by the Warriors in the first round of the playoffs or even as the Jazz were in the second round of the playoffs that can almost be 
be like worse in terms of uh the idea of like showing how far away you are than just not making the playoffs at all at times because you just see like wow like if i want to compete for a championship we made the playoffs and now we just got swept anyway so i mean that's really you know if cousins doesn't stay or if that pairing goes wrong gentry you mentioned del demps perpetually under fire but save things for another year so i mean this this season could just be the season that determines whether anthony davis sticks around because if it were me and uh you can't make the playoffs this year and cousin leaves I mean, you got to trade davis if uh, i mean they might not but i think you got to it, it, otherwise yeah. you're just going to lose him for nothing in two years yeah i mean it, it's it, and i just it, it all comes down to demarcus cousins I, I i think not not necessarily anthony davis because if you can get cousins to resign you at least buy yourself some more time if if, if cousins yeah. walks you're you're toast i mean you the, the one thing you have to hang your hat hat on as a potential out is the designated player extension for for ad because they can give him a lot more money than anyone else if he stays but that, that's it like if you don't think that if you think like i do that anthony davis would rather you know go compete for a championship and find somewhere better where he's better equipped to do that than take some more money when he's making more money than he probably knows what to do with anyway like yeah i i agree i think you take a shot if cousins walks next summer you try to replace him as best you can that summer and if you can't replace him with a star then i i think i think you really have to strongly consider trading anthony davis like before the start of that next season so um it's and it's it's tough because it's also a business right i mean davis i mean he, he sells tickets and without him and if you just start the rebuild that's you know tom benson's not exactly young a young owner he's you know he's 90 so will will tom benson even do that i mean it's a it's a whole rabbit hole you got start spiraling well down he'll, and it just he'll comes have down to be to able to remember his name first <laughs> he'll have to be able to remember ad's name first uh, uh that came, came out of a deposition where i mean obviously he's, he's an older man I mean, it's not the end of the world that he couldn't remember his his name but still uh you know not not the look you want from uh the owner of your team when he's shown a picture of anthony davis and he couldn't remember his name uh but what you say is very interesting because with davis he will have two years left with a player option they can offer him that designated veteran extension right now uh or not right now but they can at the end of the season if he qualifies for all nba he famously did not make it in 2015-16 made it last year but made it as a center if he's playing next to demarcus this season will he make it especially if they don't have a great season and don't make the playoffs he's going to be in that forward category and then it gets a lot more difficult there's just a ton of competition at forward maybe he could still get votes as a center but teams i think you know writers will probably see cousins as the center so maybe that easier path is not there i definitely if i were ad i would be like demanding that new orleans introduce me as the center every night right now uh <laughs> Uh, and then of course this this puts in again how ridiculous it is that like this voting is even a part of contracts but right. yeah i mean if they get to the point where they offer him that extension and then he doesn't take it then, all right i mean you probably got to trade him at that point i mean there's there's really and that's part of the purpose of that extension too is if he doesn't take it you can say hey we just offered you way more money than you can get anywhere else so uh and two years before he even would be a free agent like the the way they did with wall uh so yeah i mean you, you would have to think about moving him at, at, at that point so uh, let's get into it now here give me uh your prediction for uh, this pelican season i was so before uh before the solomon hill injury i had it as greater than like if i had to bet playoffs or no playoffs i would have bet playoffs i would have 
uh, I wouldn't have gone like I, I I thought it was around seventh or eighth seed uh, was was right. Um, I, I right now I think they're right on the cusp. I still I still like them to win. Uh, I mean I I like the over. I was kind of surprised about 39 and a half. I wonder how much Solomon Hill had to do with that, but. Uh, just because the depth, like you said earlier, the depth isn't there. But I, I think, um, you know, b- between uh, 45 and 50 wins, I had, I think, closer to 45. So I, I think I just I really think the two stars will get you get you enough of the way there. Uh, have two guys like Anthony Davis and Demarcus Cousins. Um, I, I, I have them at the. I haven't actually settled on an actual number for wins yet, but um, I don't know, like 46, I think. Yeah, I think that's too optimistic for my blood. I've actually liked to, I mean, I think two years ago when we did this, I picked the under just because of the injuries. I think they had a pretty high over under at that point. It was like, you know, 47 or 48. I mean, mm-hmm. People were talking they about did. this team taking the next step and getting into the top four in the West. And, and that obviously didn't happen in large part due to the injuries. AD took a step back. I mean, that was, at that point, we were thinking that Gentry was really going to be a big coaching upgrade that has not proved to be the case really and so i think because of the injuries that this team always seems to suffer just the fact that they have no shooting i could just see them being so much less than some of their parts and then your other issue is you know even getting someone on the buyout market they can't even sign you know offer dante cunningham a a two-year contract because of this hard cap issue with the holidays incentives they're worried about the tax as well it's hard to see them paying the tax and so when you like holiday cousins and ad i mean that is a fantastic big three you know that's something that if they could just fill around him with kind of average guys you know three through or or four through six you would say yeah you know what this team that's probably you know a 50 win team this is a team that should be competing for a you know a home court advantage seed because those guys are all so good um so i but i just i'm very very pessimistic i mean i I just there's they disappoint every single year except for one uh, out of the the last you know basically since i've been covering basketball so i i think i'm gonna go with uh, 38 wins this season hurts <laughs> i mean I, I i i get it i just i, I i'm i'm just really I, i'm bullish on the fact that they just have two like one top 10 player one top 20 player maybe top 15 depending on how how you feel about cousins and then drew's a, a very solid third third player I, I think a pretty pretty uh, drew, drew, drew holiday's your third best player you're doing something right i mean obviously the problem is everything else but i just uh, i i tend to believe that that having that much like star power will 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 do enough to to, to put them right around the playoff conversation and obviously we haven't even touched on the fact that that, that the depth of the western conference obviously plays a huge huge role in this uh, and that and that pessimism. So um, understand it. Um, the, the, you mentioned the, the buyout market, and that's the one thing that the Pelicans do have right now. If they clear space, they, I think they do have about half of the uh, non-tax mid-level. Um, so I mean, if they were to say to package yeah. a, a pick, they've with got a their Jinsa, BAE as well. Yeah, they've I, got their BAE as well. If they could, if they could, yeah, find a way to get off uh, some money. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not sure what Rondo fell into. I thought I thought they may have given him the biannual, but. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think he was like slightly more than the 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 BAE. Um, and I think between he and Miller, I'm not sure about that, but I'm pretty sure between he and Miller, they're at like you know five million. I, I think the thought was, hey, there's no reason to use our BAE this year when we're not even going to be able to use the full MLE. So why don't we just make this all part of the MLE and then we'll have the BAE for next year if we're we're going to use it. So that, that definitely makes sense. Where do you see them ranking in offense, defense, and for reference? a season ago defensively they're quite solid ninth in the nba were even higher than that for part of the season and then on offense though it was a a massive struggle 26th in the league 
Yeah. I mean, I think so. I think the the defense stays around around where it is. Um, I think I think the offense comes up, uh, which I mean, with with two guys like Davis and Cousins, I think it, I think it just has to um, the defense. I mean, the ninth. Yeah. But I mean, there are a lot of teams typically clustered around like from from, I don't know, like 22 to, to eight. I mean, you, you typically don't see a ton of variation. So, I mean, I think I yeah. think they're about where they're they're going to be defensively. They're not going to jump into top five, especially not with Hill out now. Um, but I, I see I see if that offense can come up to, to league average. Um, I think uh, I think they'll be in they'll be in decent shape. So much to me. I mean, I have a, a section in here called key questions. But to me, the number one question that's going to determine this season for them, other than health, which is true for a lot of teams, but perpetually even more so for this team mm-hmm. is, is Cousins going to defend? If Cousins is going to be a solid defensive player if he's in better shape if they can use their defensive culture if in fact you're right if they can be you know the ninth best defense again if the and they don't if cousins is okay they don't really have any just massive holding rondo was terrible last year but maybe they can get more out of him and there's nobody who doesn't have the tools to defend on this team at least that you look at hill i agree with you is going to really be missed at the three because he was a guy who had the size at least to match up with some of the better forwards in the NBA. Not a stopper by any means, but wasn't going to just get trucked in those matchups, which is important. So yeah, I mean, if they can defend the way they did last year with Cousins out there, I mean, they did so much switching last year. I don't think they're going to be doing nearly as much of that this year. Um, That's part of why they were so successful. But if they can keep that defense up there, and then yeah, maybe Cousins just with he and AD and Drew, that can overcome the lack of shooting and they could get to average. And maybe it is a team then that can get to, you know, four. 46 47 wins i mean i would see their best case scenario maybe at 50 just because those guys are are so talented and maybe maybe cousins will prove me wrong i mean he definitely has i've been off the cousins train when i saw how badly he defended last year and how out of shape he was but if he actually is in shape and he plays like it then uh much can change for this team yeah and i think uh you know i I think he's i think especially in new orleans he's been bought in i don't think he was in the right shape when they got him mid-season uh and as we as we discussed you know going from um, and he's got a baseline, a baseline rather than three point nine and three point line. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm with you there. If, if he can, if he really shows that, you know, it doesn't have to be this gazelle running up and down the court either. Just guy who can get up and down and, and be, you know, not not be lagging uh, and joining the play seconds late. So, yeah, I, I, and I think um, I think he'll be up to the challenge. What do you think is the best case scenario for these guys? Um, I'm, I'm kind of with you around, uh, around 50 ish, low fifties. Um, I don't just, I mean, even as you could like DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis more than, more than anyone in the world. But the fact of the matter is that the Western conference is just so, so stacked. I mean, it's just going to be, going to be tough. I mean, even Denver now with, uh, Jokic and, and Millsap, I mean, they have two very, very good big men of their own there. And so it's just, it, it's, it's going to be tough to really climb the ladder in, in the Western conference just because there's there, every, seems like every night you got a tough, tough schedule. I mean, Pelicans have, I think a top five hardest strength of schedule based on who they're playing four times versus three and being in the Western conference. And so, so it's, it, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's going to be tough, but, um, but yeah, I, I think, I think low fifties is, is probably the, this, this ceiling. Uh, how about a worst case scenario? I, I think about 33 wins for me, I would price in injuries, you know, AD missing his, which he didn't last year, which was nice uh, for the first time. It didn't miss his typical 20 games. He played, uh, how many games did he play last year? You remember off the 
top of your head? Yeah, I mean, I think it was 78. I think he only missed. I mean, he came out yeah. of games early a lot, but he didn't miss many. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he came out of like 15 games, but then just like was fine the next game. It, it was weird. Yeah, I mean, they're very protective of their a superstar, I guess. But I don't know if it was 15, but he definitely came out yeah. of a handful. Well, well, so I mean, he played 75 games and he averaged 36 minutes. So mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that that's totally adequate whether he came out of games right. or not. And Cousins, you know, has typically missed time at various points as well. Uh, but if they, if they both missed, you know, 10, 15 games, 20 games, you know, I think in games where they don't have both those guys, it's going to be a real struggle. Drew also not the greatest re- uh, health record, although he was he was fine last year. So I'd say they could fall as low as 33 with you know kind of expected injuries uh you know unlucky health but not like catastrophically bad health what do you think there yeah so it's a kind of a it's a snowball effect because if that's the case then they've got to take a long hard look at moving cousins at the trade deadline right i mean if they're if they're tracking that poorly and on pace for 33 wins and they, they can't they can't keep i mean there's really no one i don't know why demarcus cousins would stay if they've been, he's been there for then a full season and it hasn't worked i mean he's probably gonna walk and so uh, I mean, if that happens, they, they may move to Marcus for you know, whatever uh, the, whatever they can get, and then things just kind of spiral. Um, so I think my worst case scenario might be even lower than that. Um, you know, I think 30, maybe, uh, I mean, cause Anthony Davis alone would hopefully get you at least to a certain level, but I mean, if, if the yeah. wheels fall off, then there's a lot that can, that can go, go wrong. I was thinking about the, a cousin's trade potentially. I just don't think they would do it. Number one, I don't see like what contender out there really needs him. I mean, maybe he could get traded somewhere to a team that could have the inside track and in re-signing him. Right. But with only... I don't see like a huge contender. I mean, it's because also uh, keep in mind, if they're going to be totally out of the playoffs, that means he's probably having another bad year too. So it, it's, it, I mean, it's hard to imagine him playing great. And I mean, maybe if AD gets hurt or something. So, I mean, I still think that like uh, they might certainly test the market on him, but I don't think they'll find anything for him. I mean, they, it's not like they acquired him for that much to begin with, but I don't think they'll find anything for him. I mean, if you know, one late first round pick or something, and maybe, you know, a, a player who's all right, to match salary, that's probably what you would expect for him in that circumstance and i think for them they would probably rather just hold on to him and offer him the max and then just hope that that'll like convince ad to continue to stick around and just hold on to that hope and that pipe dream especially for a uh, a GM who has improbably continued to survive every year when they just sort of like, oh, I guess it's been a month since the season ended and we haven't hired anyone, so we'll just keep the guy on. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, maybe the, he'll do that again. I mean, it really trading him away for just like, you know, some pick is not job preservational behavior. At least you can continue to sell the dream that he'll resign. And maybe he would have, you know, uh, who knows whether offers are going to be out there for him. There's not a ton of teams out there that need centers. His reputation is going to be bad. If they offer him the five year max, he probably would stick around that maybe that's how what they could think and, and so i would be very surprised even if things go poorly i don't think necessarily he would be traded fair enough yep i mean that's cer- certainly possible but uh yeah, and I, th- yeah. I think I, I mean the the lakers came to mind i i mean obviously they they just got you know brooke lopez and that in that trade that they made but um but I, I think, you know, I, I think there was something that came out that Magic Johnson was like, he seemed like it hired right after that Cousins trade happened. And I, I don't even know if yeah. Cousins would be on the Pelicans had uh, Magic Johnson been in charge of the Lakers at the time. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's that's a good point that um, his value may not be at, at its highest. And so um, Dell Demps to save his job might, may keep him. So we'll see. Yeah. And, you know, maybe they will trade him. It's also just 
interesting to think about i mean i went through today when i was looking at the teams that have space for next year and there are not a ton of them and so i think you could maybe you would just stick around if you offer him the five-year max if, if that's what he wants but uh i mean that's still a, a ton of money for him a, a guy who's probably doesn't necessarily profile to age incredibly well all right man well thanks for coming on we really appreciate it of course to uh have you on and talk pals uh where can people follow your work oh yeah um so i i do uh writing for uh, Bourbon street shots is the troop network affiliate for the for the pelicans um gonna be uh looking forward to the most important season in recent memory uh for for new orleans like we like we talked about a lot of lot hinges on how the season goes and so uh when, you know win or lose it's going to be eventful all right well thanks again for coming on and we'll be back uh with more great content i want to remind everyone as well you can support us with uh our patreon page patreon.com slash duncan larue and also a, a new thing that we're doing we have an amazon banner ad on nate duncan and if you're just going to buy something on amazon anyway if you want to just click through using our ad then we get a, a little kickback from that as well great way to support the show and you don't even have to do anything that you wouldn't already be doing so uh we appreciate everyone who supported us that way as well and we'll be back uh next time thanks so much for listening everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.